OTB Sports Rugby. Everyone in the world thinks Ireland should win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you pick the combined side, who'd get in from Wales? Jeez, no, no one, I don't think. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Welcome, it's OTAM at half past seven, I didn't know, and uh, very good to see you this morning. Shay, how are you getting on? How are you, I think, does that mean something else? Oh, well, like when you get an itchy palm and you're like, oh, I'm coming into money. Or cold feet or itchy feet. Or you get like shot on by a bird and people say, oh, that's great luck. Somebody invented that at some point because it was really bad luck. There's not, no, no good comes from... Get- so, yeah, someone was on a, on a wheel of positivity, like it was January or something, and someone was like, do you know what, I'm going to turn this into... <laughs> Into something you got else. Shot on by a bird. Oh, you lucky, lucky devil! How's <laughs> <laughs> we end up talking about bird shit? Uh, not sure, but uh, it knows you're going to fight somebody. Kathleen says. Oh, is it? Oh, watch out, Shane. Watch Steer out, player. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll try and um, I'll try and. Well, I don't want to pick a fight with you this morning. What I actually want to do is to say I couldn't believe yesterday. Listen to the show, trucking along nicely, mm. enjoying the various slots around the world. Comes on, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh, this is gonna this is gonna test my my will to stay tuned. I really enjoyed it. Oh, did you? Adrian? I really, really the the arc pay- of around the world for me, Bill, has come full circle. Who paid you to say this this morning? I'm telling you, I really enjoyed it. The stories were well selected. You didn't spend. I'm gonna. I, I it's this. I wasn't intended as a sideswipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I did really enjoy it. Okay, but I'll I'll throw the sideswipe while I'm at it. You didn't spend half an hour talking about like. Bone density. Yeah, true. I got a lot of like, got a lot of tweets with bone density. You didn't. I you got, got a, like I, I think got it might have been one. Certainly two, maybe. Um, really good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, the I feel like the sarcasm is oozing through no, your veins. Not not not, not not as our friend would say. Not a scintilla of uh, of sarcasm. Not a scintilla. <laughs> right. To be seen. Jesus. Right. Well, right. Maybe it could make make a return on a Friday at some point then. Says you, ah, well, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't no, go that far. Well, <laughs> you might say that, and you might be right, mm. but no, it's it, it, it was a strong slot. The stories were good stories. Good stories. They were worth talking about. Yeah, they were. They were you know? like every week on on the slot. You know, mm. Mm. some weeks are crapper than others. I'll, I'll, I'll admit, but uh, I think I think it's I think the 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 back the back fire backfire <laughs> <laughs> the, the hate it got off the back of of the couple of Fridays we did. Almost added to it. It gave people a, a sense of ownership over it. Yeah. Not least me, but certainly the, the viewers got on board and were like... Um, it's never coming from a place of hate, right? It's coming from genuine boredom. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> Do you yeah. know? You were the kid in the back of class just not listening, weren't you? Like the oh, bone, totally. bone density stuff totally. was quite interesting. Totally, 100%. So, I Must do better was uh, like a, they nearly made a stamp of it just because they knew it was going to be on my report card every somebody, time. Somebody sent me a big long link to articles about Tutankhamun, the former ancient Egyptian pharaoh. And <laughs> kept you going for the weekend. Oh, he and he said it. bone density scan and used there as well. And I was like, this is this is mad. I'm learning stuff now. Maybe if you're not a history nerd, then yeah. Well, the, you know that, that falls right into my wheelhouse there. So um, anyway, thank you, I, I, I want to get back to the positivity. I really enjoyed it. Very good. Long may that continue, Shane. Absolutely. Bring it back if it's going to be that quality. I'll happily have it on Friday. Fantastic. Don't be saving it for a for a random old Thursday. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, right. We've loads uh, to get into. Loads to come between now and ten uh, this morning for you. We do want to get into. You were out and about yesterday, Shane, at Crow Park. There was loads of stuff on the agenda, but uh, all sorts really. 
there was uh, would have been so long between drinks since we'd last heard from Croke Park at the opportunity to ask some questions. Yeah. There was so much on the agenda. And we'll get to most of that, I think, over the course of the morning. What was the buzz down there? So it was the Director General's re- annual report. And so you know, when you're walking into the Croke Park Museum where the press conference was happening and you're handed this big, thick manual and you're given 20 minutes to mm. comb over it. And I'm just like, oh, here. So you're writing down things like, of course, not a lot of this is going to come up in the press conference afterwards, but um, finish on the day, uh, Tom Ryan, not a fan. Not a fan. Now, he didn't rule out the whole penalty shootout thing at all, but um, doesn't like it. Have, have a replay. Well, have that's a, replay. a long-standing GA yeah, feeling. Yeah, but of course, it. there's other reasons why a replay would be. Which is fair enough, I Yeah, you can make sense. Um, Croke Park's money they made last year, the €17 million Euro net contribution from the stadium itself, mm. £7.6 of which came from the seven concerts. Um, you had Garth Brooks, you had Ed Sheeran. He said there were no plans for concerts in Croke Park this year, and that was unlikely to change. Uh, which I thought was strange because it's a it's a useful enough means of income for for so costly, Shay. so costly. It is on a show there. Very How costly. could you be thinking about it? Well, this is the thing. Um, I think you know if the, Taylor Swift comes over or whatever it might be, I think the government should step in and and um, help fund it. Well, Beyonce make it happen. Beyonce announced her the day and she she did not have Dublin on the tour. She had Sunderland on the tour, but no Dublin. I blame the CCCC for that. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, they're always to blame. Mm. It's usually either the CCCC or Paul Pogba that are to blame for everything, isn't it? <laughs> According to Sunes, um, but yeah, no, it was it was an interesting chat. A lot of numbers. The GA are in a healthy position financially. I think it's fair to say, coming out of COVID, bouncing because the, of course last year was kind of the first year where they had a bit of normality with the championship season. Um, quite happy with everything, but yeah, of course, then the press conference starts and the the hands go up, mm. and a lot of us were there to talk about two things: Katie Taylor. The fight not being in Croke Park in May, and then of course the uh, the Glen Kilmacud saga, which was bizarre to talk about. I have to say at the at the press conference, I'd say the um, Katie Taylor thing was nearly like a gift from the gods. Them, it's like oh, well, we get to take a breather from this other stuff for a while. Distracting, I, I would say. You know when uh, yeah, a welcome distraction. Like. Yeah, because it's a story that um, the Glen Kilmacud stuff was quite evidently uh, a story they did not want to talk about yesterday. Mm. Um, as soon as the questions were asked, the GA president Larry McCarthy. Very, very reluctant to speak. Let's talk it. a bit more about Katie. No more questions on that. Let's he, talk about Katie. Essentially. Uh, and all the questions for on, on the Katie stuff were directed towards Peter McKenna, which I understand. Um, it's kind of out of the GEA's wheelhouse. But yeah, the Lincoln McCut stuff just, it would come up and, and Larry's response each time was, it's still an ongoing situation, so I don't want to comment any further. Mm. Uh, and then Tom Ryan did make an effort uh, to, to kind of answer a couple of the questions, an effort to answer a couple of the questions, at least. Um, but it was very much, do we have to talk about this? We have a quick clip of what was said, I think. We might uh, we might take that. Can I just ask on the, the Glenn Kilmacud situation, I understand there'd be a, a reticence, I guess, for the GA to get involved, given they could, you know, if you get involved in one case, you have to get involved in plenty. But could there have been an exception made, given it was an All-Ireland club final and such a big occasion? Well, if you don't, I'll have a go at that one too, Larry. Just, just yours, and again, I'll be careful. Um, no, is the answer. Because to my mind, if you're playing, if you're playing junior D football in West Kerry, or if you're an all-star hurler up the top of Antrim, it's the same disciplinary system. And people are entitled to having the same rigour applied to it, irrespective of how good you are, or the level that you're playing at, whether it's club or county. Or and also, that competition started out with the the normal disciplinary regime attaching to it whenever the first round of various county championships were around the country and it's appropriate that the same regime would apply at the pinnacle of it as well. Like it's, I, I, I wouldn't be in favour of a, a, a two-tier or multiple-tier disciplinary system based on how good the players are. 
Yeah, that's the uh, GEA Director General Tom Ryan there at the press conference yesterday and it was evident from after you asked the question Larry McCarthy's body language was how, you know, don't be asking those questions. You're not, you're not allowed to ask that question. Um, and just to expand a little bit more on what Tom Ryan was saying to you and others yesterday, he talked about, uh, he said, interference or intervention by anybody uh, in relation to the club final is dangerous and prohibited. Yeah, and as he uh, outlined there, whether it's a junior F match or junior Ds, he said there, somewhere down the country or a club all Ireland at Croke Park, the same disciplinary process and rules apply. We're not going to operate a two-tier system. Uh, Larry McCarthy, who, as I said, his body language there suggesting he didn't want to talk about it and his actual language saying very much the same thing, the GEA president, uh, refusing to answer questions on it but he did say the process is in progress and it will work itself out it will work itself out said Larry McCarthy and uh, Tom Ryan then uh, the last quote here he said the safest thing we can do is abide by the process that is tried and trusted and it works it'll work itself out and it works now I don't know for anybody who's been paying attention over the last two weeks uh, it's very difficult to say that either of those things are true. I don't know how you can say that it's going to work itself out. If the system has to be respected, and I think we'd all have some understanding of that and respect for that, and that is fair enough, but it is reasonable to point out that a system that has absolutely no flexibility for someone in power at whatever angle to pick up a phone on la- Sunday night week or the Monday morning um, to start some dialogue, you have to accept that while you are respecting the system, that system is fundamentally broken. If we've allowed a situation uh, which wasn't actually, it could have been solved even after the fact. Um, You have to accept, obviously as well, that the full-time professionals who are running the GEA, the people you saw on your screen there, many of whom are brilliant people in their field. They're smart, they're articulate, they're educated, they're in many cases uh, charismatic um, and that they're totally hamstrung, obviously, by the labyrinthine system that exists around the governance of the sporting side of the operations around um, our national games. But it's also legit to point out that the system which leaves two squads of about 30 players each, all the backroom staff, genuine club people on all sides here, in absolute limbo over the last couple of weeks is just wrong and a system that doesn't allow for the most basic of common sense uh, to prevail when um, as allowed from from this to move from what was initially a rule breach to a full-on dispute and like um, you know you can use your CCCC and your CAC and your DRA for the challenging of a red card uh, but like a system that not only allows but actually designs that two teams have been left hanging with the anguish of all of this around them. They have holidays, uh, we know they have weddings, we know they have jobs, they have accusations hanging in the background um, and the system has ensured uh, actually that that was going to be the case and the system is wrong and it has to be changed and I think we need to look at that and I think we need to discuss it and I know that like there's a difference between the two sides of the house here, the, the Katie Taylor side of the house in terms of the business running at Crow Park mm. and accept that and then the game side of the house, which is that anybody who's paid any attention, who's ever been a Congress, can tell you it's, it's, a, like it's a really hard system to affect and to work around. Nicky Brennan actually jumps to mind when he was on with you guys yeah. last week and he was talking about, like, it's grand to be thinking about that stuff, but who's sitting down now to try and change that rule? For me, th- I, nobody, nobody was at talking about, like, suggesting a two-tier disciplinary system. No. I certainly wouldn't 
wouldn't uh, I would agree that that um, shouldn't be the case. And it wasn't my question either. No, and but at the same time, I do think it's disingenuous to talk about two tier systems and to say that you know you can't have one system for a All Ireland final at Crow Park and another system for a Junior D match in West Kerry. That's not what's been said. Mm. But what's fundamentally at play here is a national game that carried the national conversation. Yet two weeks on, here we are. <laughs> right? Is different from a Junior F game in Kerry, and if the system doesn't allow for some of those people who are on your screen there, who, as I said, are bright, smart, articulate, charismatic people, to pick up the phone mm-hmm. and say, lads, could we just jump on a call here and try and figure out what the best case forward is? Yeah. And there was almost this idea that you'd be offending Junior D footballers by not giving the same processes to them as for an Ireland club final. And the fact that the start of the All-Ireland Club competition, they might have had different rules. To the, it's a final. It's a showpiece event. You used a great word there, flexibility. The GA could have shown a bit of flexibility with this. That was the point of the question. It wasn't that there should be one rule for junior D footballers in Antrim or whatever, wherever and another for the All-Ireland Club finalists in the senior level. That, that, that's not the point. They could yeah. have easily stepped in and been flexible yeah. and, and set a precedent. To, to do something about it. Yeah, because we can't hide behind the systems. No. And, uh, like, you know, if the system is as it is, I would have I would have liked almost for at this stage for them to come out and have reflected on it and said, um, you know, the processes are there, they've got to respect the CCC, I can't pick up the phone and tell them to go this way. Uh, but, actually, in hindsight, what might have helped, and maybe we should look to try and put that in place for the next time something like this happens. Yes, yeah. they did acknowledge that, the only thing, that they acknowledged that there would be, they would look at the substitutions and and how don't, that happens don't, don't like uh, <laughs> process <laughs> sorry which is mad yeah, to say that we might look at that we, let's look at that you have to let's look at that. absolutely change that but i think equally if we're not saying let's absolutely change the system that doesn't allow for any flexibility yeah. if we're not saying that then what we're doing is we're designing again we're setting this up for the same anguish and like you, you know i think no matter what side of the debate that you sit on this like you have to have utter sympathy for the amateur players and coaches and everybody else who's involved in both sides of yeah. the camp for what they've been through. Um, like, it's it's the most awful ending to, never mind the club championship, any championship or any sort of tournament that you could possibly think of. Yeah, and, and like, Glenn, Glenn are probably feeling wronged by what happened at the end and Kilmacud are probably feeling wronged by maybe some of the things that like they, 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 have been they, said they, about they them. Are, they are feeling they, wronged. Of course they are. On both sides. I understand, on both sides. But yeah. the point is, that all could have been avoided had the GEA been flexible and been proactive and said, as you said, on the, the Sunday or the Monday, replay. Do you know, yeah. I think, because then the narrative wouldn't have been circling around in the media for the, for the week and yeah. two weeks thereafter. So a, a proactive GEA avoids all this negative publicity and avoids, like, when the question was first asked, I was watching the body language of Larry McCarthy and Tom Ryan and, like, they did want to, like, Larry especially wanted to call inside himself. They didn't want to answer these questions. But yeah. they, of course, the GEA are a big organisation. Um, and, and look, they have a media team there. No doubt they will have sat down beforehand and said, what questions might come up here? Of course, we're going to ask about the report. And to be fair, a lot of the journalists, myself included, I asked a question about, um, it was touched on in the report, calling out unwanted behaviour towards officials uh, in Tom Ryan's notes. And I asked them about that. Mm. Uh, we'll play a clip later on about Miking up referees, uh, John Fogarty, I think it was the examiner asked um, a question about the the gender quota on the GA board, which wasn't covered in the report. But there's there's this call to have forty percent female representation on boards, mm. and Tom Ryan acknowledged that they are at about fifteen percent at the moment um, 
also spoke about the the need for the LGFA and the Camogie Association to come together with the GN for them to be all one organisation. Well, that's a process underway, isn't it, Mary yeah, McLeese? Exactly, and yeah. she's leading that. But so there was loads, loads of things touched on by the journalists there, myself included, that was in that were in, in the report. But they would have discussed beforehand. Well, the journalists here are going to, of course, ask Peter McKenna about Katie, but they're also going to ask Larry McCarthy and Tom Ryan about about the Glenn Kimmichael situation. So the the almost look of dismay that that we were asking those questions kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, well. Surely you're, you're you to knew I was question. going to ask this question. And, uh, you know, like, you could have said the exact same thing and couched it in a, well, look, I will give a short comment, but generally I can't go into too much detail. Yeah. That's fine. Everybody accepts that. We're not looking for the insights and the inner workings of what's going on with the CCCC. Yeah. And I would also apply the same thing to last Monday week. Mm. Send out a statement. Like, yeah. it's grand. 100%. You don't need to be sending a statement for a junior F game and carry that, you know, nobody apart from... 60 people who are involved in the thing really are worried or care about. Yeah. But like, there are, you know, a million people around the country that are, that you want paying attention to this game because you've, that's why the whole sponsorship thing exists and all that sort of the TV coverage and yeah. the radio coverage and all that. So you want people to look at it. Mm. Now they've looked at it and they all have an opinion about it. So don't just go silent now. You 100%. Know? And like, but it's, it's, it, it, again, the statement, just to reiterate the point, didn't need to like give an A to Z of here's what's happening and here's yeah. what we're going to do and here are all the steps. You know, we're going to revert to the process. We're aware of the thing that everybody's talking about. We'll issue a statement again in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Just be, you know, but there's a lot of like back channel going on. You know, you'd have a journal, you mentioned John Fogarty, you'd have a bit of information over here doing their job. Yeah. You know, somebody else would have a bit of information over here by, you know, they've been texting people, whatever it is. Yeah. That's great. But like, just put all that stuff, put it out, like put it in a, <laughs> statement and put it out I think that would have helped the general national mood around it yeah. I have to say and like, they, they had asked a couple of journalists had asked the question on the Glen Kimmichael stuff and the reticence that was there you could clearly see from, from uh, the GA to answer them I, I then brought the question back it kind of dissipated a bit and then asked that question that we just played um, and they were clearly annoyed that this was coming back up but I was like they, they haven't answered they haven't really answered the question at all mm. And then it all finished up, and I think there was a journalist behind me. I don't know who he was. I think it was a journalist, and he was like, "Geez, you could have got kicked out there for bringing that back right. up." But but I was thinking in my head, "What? Why? Like, you know, you're almost made. You're, you're like, you're legit here. allowed to ask questions. Yeah, and we're here to to ask those questions. But I think that like, look, at least Tom Ryan spoke. Um, it's the first time, as you say, we've heard from him in two weeks. So it was mad, but it just felt a bit bizarre. But at least now we have some form of response from the GA, albeit it's it, it leaves. An empty feeling still. But like e- even the breadth of comment that Tom Ryan made, and look, we leave it here. I, I, as much as anybody else, have absolute fatigue with this story. Yeah. And actually, oh, what, God, I'm, what yeah. I'm saying is that we, we never needed to get this far. That's sort of what I'm saying. Yeah. But like even the breadth of what he said yesterday, just do that last week because you haven't said anything in relation to the process. Yeah. Nobody expects you to. Nobody expects a two tier system. That's all fine. Mm. But just come out and say, we're aware of it. Yeah, God, it's 100%. a shocking situation. We've great sympathy for everybody involved. Jeez, we we picked up the phone. We have to see, you know, because it's such a unique set of circumstances. Mm. We've picked up the phone to see is there some way we can support the CCCC? Is there some way we can support the players? Yeah. Like we're going to talk to players who are involved in that, right? Like um, Anthony Moyles speaks very eloquently um, in relation to the whole Mead stuff in 2010, the Mead yeah. Lad stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we're going to hear from the people who were involved in those camps. And I'd be really interested to get their thoughts in, on how the whole thing um, was handled. You know, outside of the, the blame game and the rights and wrongs of who did what, but how the whole thing, the fallout, you know. Was handled. Uh, not was handled. handled. <laughs> that was bizarre. Right. Um, Shane Rock in the Call of Duty camouflage says uh, Richard Redbolts. 
Yeah, yeah. Is, that, is it like, is it a shirt or is it a so jumper a, or is it a coat? It's just like a shacket, is it? A shacket? I gotta think I got it in a charity shop. A shacket? It's, uh, it's got the buttons. I could button What's it up. a shacket? It's like mixed between a shirt and a jacket. Wow. <laughs> you learn something new every day. My friend Car Crash is back in the comments. He's my favourite person every Friday. How many segments of pure cringe will Shane get today? Car Crash is, the, I don't know who Car Crash, of course, is, but he, he always has something pleasant to say. Um, uh, it's a shacket, yeah. It's, it's uh, again, I mean, I just might be feeling the Friday sort of positive vibe, but it's not the most offensive thing you've ever oh, really? Yeah. I was, expe- I was expecting a bit no, of backlash. No, 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 no. No, There you go. No, you could wear that out, Shane. That's, I probably that's will more, now. more than the usual things you've I got out here. That. You could definitely wear that out. Jesus, fair enough. Um, I was so thinking you got more, the championship haircut as well. I have the championship haircut I got yesterday. Yeah. I brought the young fella down. He wanted to get a mohawk. Oh, did you get him at the mohawk? Oh, yeah. Whatever uh, he wants. Deadly. Not, I used like, to copy David Beckham's haircut tonight. Oh, did you? I went Jeez, bald. I went Mohican. I went right. spiky hair. Right. Blonde. I, I did everything. The uh, the the we went into the barber yesterday, so we'd we'd uh, you know the lads lads going for the haircut like of course yeah, yeah. and uh, the barber goes bonding. He said, "Will the school be all right with that?" <laughs> I felt like I've been asked like you know, it's like <laughs> questioning your parenting. Yeah, no, exactly. It was like, yeah. is there an adult around that somebody can sign off on this? <laughs> Uh, but he got the mohawk. His hair wasn't really long enough to get the full sort of right, yeah, full yeah. effect of it. But the mullet is what the kids all want now, you know. Mullet, apparently, yeah. yeah. The, the Aussie kind of look. But should they be wearing that? Been Monaghan for the years. years like. they, they, never, they never went out of fashion. Ah, one hundred percent. The seventies. It's always been the seventies in Monaghan. Um, what else have we got going on here? Something about um, some kind of sacred cow. Says Spectre correlation to GA. Um, Shifty lad, morning to you, shifty lad, says uh, the Katie Taylor in croak, uh, Croker wouldn't be great visually, also the potential of it lashing that day would be 50-50, mm. which is a fair point, there's no roof to close there, and it uh, wouldn't be great visually, I mean, I think the point is that it's a big stadium, uh, but you'd be kind of going there in that understanding, there'd be big TV screens, yeah. like... Oh That's yeah, just part and the weather. The weather is something people were bringing up as well. Just, I'm sure the yeah. the ring would be covered in some way, and hopefully that wouldn't affect the view of people in the in the stands. The talk from the Irish Independent this morning that the security costs were five hundred thousand euro, which seemed to be the the cut off point. How in much the, in the deal? Five hundred thousand, right? Which is a lot, but I mean, as Peter McKenna said yesterday to, to myself, that, that you know, the, the cost, the fact that this, the idea. From Eddie Hearn a match room that this was going to cost up to three times more more than the Wembley Stadium mm-hmm. at Croker just wasn't true. So, um, last comment for the minute from Michael on YouTube. Good morning, to you, Michael. If Crooks did the decent thing at the beginning, all of this would have been avoided. A lot of blame being placed on the GA when the culture within Kim and Crooks is the real issue. Like, sure, if you stuck to the process there, Michael, you'd know that like it wasn't they had no option to mm. do what you're suggesting they do. Um, obviously, laterally that uh, did come on the agenda. Anyway, we'll try and leave it there. We will be coming back to the Katie Taylor stuff a little bit later on with our um, Friday fireside chat. But it's gone 10 to 8. Here's what's coming up to you now and 10 for you this morning. Ronan Agar is standing by to chat all things rugby. Opening weekend of Six Nations. Uh, that'll be coming your way in just a moment. Lauren Jenkins, who's a reporter with the BBC and S4C, amongst others, will give us the Welch angle. Martin Lipton, talk all things Spurs. Uh, we'll touch on Matt Doherty's transfer course to Madrid as well. Alan Quinlan, uh, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of uh, the Six Nations as well. And then we will have that Friday fire pit uh, Kathleen and Cameron are going to join us in studio just after nine for that. So if you have any thoughts uh, for that, do please uh, fire them into us. And then the uh, Six Nations show coming your way. So uh, from half past nine, it's very rugby heavy and we make no apologies for it. Ronan Agarra, good morning to you. Morning, Adrian. Hi, Shane. How are you keeping? Very well. Yeah, good, thank you. Juices flowing on Six Nations weekend or just distracted by the fact that you have a game yourself? Um, yeah, bread and butter is top 14. Leon at home, so... Um, had a disappointing defeat um, to racing at the weekend. Um, 
played well, defended very poorly, and uh, got caught to a last second penalty. Kicked uh, really well by Finn Russell. So, yeah, those uh, away uh, victories are precious. Uh, we pick up one point, um, you know, but I think we left four points behind. Our attack was better than previous weeks, but was still inaccurate. And uh, we only needed two more tries to obviously get the... Uh, winning try uh, bonus which is different in the European Cup in France you just have to score three more tries than your opposition so it makes it quite exciting you know if you're 3-0 up and uh, in tries but you concede a late try from whatever knocking off you, you lose a point so there's always kind of I suppose mini games within the games going on which it's, makes it quite good were you um, so like Russell kicks 9 out of 10 including the last kick of the game to move it from a draw to a win and were you are you sort of, the, the fact that it was only going to be a draw anyway, the, were you like, well, not a huge difference either way or very frustrating that, that the penalty was given away and you concede that late? No, because it never comes down to, you mean, we put ourselves in a position 40 metres out in front of uh, the post that, um, I mean, there is probably a high likelihood when you're the away team and uh, if your scrum isn't given dominant signs that you may be penalised, we were penalised and... Uh, it's indoor in an arena, you know, the c- kicking conditions are very, very good, so Finn Russell wasn't going to miss. Um, but as you say, yeah, instead of having, we best case scenario at that stage was two points, we got one point, but the bigger picture is that what happened for for the rest of the game, uh, We why did we give up a 28-16 lead? Um and uh, just the importance of, I suppose, developing a mindset where uh, we become, uh, we put the game to bed a lot earlier and don't let teams back in. I was, um, you're back in the touchline for Leon tomorrow. It might be brief. Uh, I hope not. And all I'll say is I'll talk about that next week, if that's okay. That is because fair enough. It's, uh, yeah, a live issue and uh, there's a little bit of disbelief from my end so that's all I'll say but I'll just imagine. reply in depth next week with you. Uh, no problem. Um, the Ireland team comes out during the week, uh, came out during the week, uh, obviously Wales tomorrow, uh, quarter past two at the Principality Stadium. What jumped out from you when you uh, saw the team or was it kind of along expected lines? Ah, there was new faces, obviously. I think, um, you know, the reality is your 23 isn't as strong when Tyg Farlong, Ronan Kelleher um, aren't in it, you know, Robbie Henshaw. So that's the glass half empty approach, but it's an opportunity, as Andy Farrell said, for, for other guys coming in. Uh, but I suppose the forward pack is, is uh, a lot uh, less experienced with. with uh, Without a shadow of a doubt, a world-class player in Ty Furlong, a, a proven competitor in, in, in Kelleher, because a lot of the people don't understand it's a 23-man game, especially at test level. Um, and taking those, Henshaw as well, three out, it is uh, it is a, a weakened group uh, for me. Um, and... Um, uh, Wales will see entries into the game through through Beelham and obviously um, you know you've a hooker obviously who's uh, has a huge um, potential coming in um, from Ulster uncapped uh, but also it'll take him 
no matter how good he is, a few games to find his stride at, at test level. So, um, you know, you can see it already. The focus from Wales is that they're going to go after Ireland up front. Uh, but we've heard that before. Um, but home advantage is absolutely huge in the Six Nations. And Ireland's record in Cardiff gives Wales hope that that is uh, definitely uh, not up for debate with me. When I'd seen uh, Warren Gatlin's Welsh starting fifteen running, I was starting to think I was going to see yourself and Brian O'Driscoll named in the Irish team. It felt like it felt like a dec- It was a decade ago. There was time travel going on. Um, so a lot of experience in that Welsh team. But of course, Lee Halfpenny has had to pull out injured late on. But still a strong team, uh, albeit uh, getting on in years. Some of them. Yeah, but the one thing really that. I think is really important is having experienced players but you need that boundless energy of of young guys that don't feel pain that don't that don't get really tired like experienced players do just the fact that at a certain age that I think that chemistry between experienced players and young players the old guys really appreciate uh, having kind of and seeing guys in training just bouncing off the ground and and knowing that if I kind of have my role right and they give the energy to this team and they kind of run uh, non-stop for the 80 minutes or the 40 minutes the ball is in play, that's a good combination. Wales, uh, yeah, it's an experienced team. You look at Liam Williams replacing uh, obviously Halfpenny, uh, but Liam Williams is, is you know I mean, he's a Test 15 for, for, for the Lions, so mm-hmm. he has proven quality. I think what Gatlin like is that there's absolute uh, certainty with Halfpenny kicking goals from 50, 55 uh, metres in a Test game at home. And, um, you know, they, they are, um, I suppose well well stocked it's just um i suppose how many times he can keep asking the same players uh to do it but he's got a few i suppose uh, rookies in there that will give energy to it uh the ospreys are are probably in, in a better headspace than they've ever been those players going into welsh camps so um you know it's just obviously a skill of of, of Warren Gatlin being able to come back and and uh i Get a get a different response out of a, a lot of the same players. Is that possible? Um, it'll be interesting to see. I'd seen some really interesting comments from Andy Farrell uh, in the last couple of days, where he was talking about learning from other managers in other sports at the top level who have achieved consistently and kept their teams at the top. And he had said he, you know, he he's met up with Mikel Arteta, he's met up with Alex Ferguson uh, to, I guess, discuss more about but achieving regular excellence is that something you came to my mind Ronan like is that something that that you have looked to do as well in terms of meeting up with managers from other sports to kind of nitpick and pick their brain as such uh, yeah you. Uh, the reality is uh, that's probably a- ahead of me that's I think my Faz is obviously more down the road than I am in that regard and and I met him at the Ulster game actually and it's just a guy who uh, within three minutes of talk and you want to spend more time with him he has that um, usually uh, open interesting easy to talk to personality where you just wish you had more hours to um, to spend time with him he was actually going to the bar I think in, in the Lansdowne for, um, for, a, for a jolly at Christmas time lunch I think and I wanted to join him <laughs> 
But you just uh, love chatting rugby to him because, um, you know, he already has a huge foundation from being a champion of rugby league and everything. He, he like, when he talks to those teams, I mean, he didn't mention Wigan, but Wigan were a team that dominated rugby league and, and made other people, I suppose, uh, redefine or rechallenge what they're going to do. And, um, it's of course you needed to do my, I suppose, uh, what, where I am in my headspace was last season we wanted to be the first group uh, to win something. We did that, so obviously then the mindset and, and the story has to change. So when you win something once, you're trying to, and it was interesting, it's the same language, you're trying to develop continued excellence. But to develop continued excellence, you need to be consistent. That's why last weekend stung me. We had four... Uh, wins in a row, playing pretty averagely, and then um, you go to to racing and you put an emphasis on attack because you're playing in an indoor hall or an indoor p- pitch for those people who aren't aware of it. And then you forget that uh, okay, so we're putting emphasis on attack, so it's optional to to defend. So we played uh, two-handed touch in defence and we conceded 39 points. So. That blows a lot of what you're trying to do up in the air. It makes you question a lot of things. So this week is trying to, I suppose, re-establish what we're uh, trying to respect in our values and our standards and our behaviours. Uh, but the bigger picture is if you want to get better and grow, it's it's absolutely imperative that you um, chat, to, chat to other uh, managers who have... Uh, achieved success, continued success, and and made their environments elite. Uh, Shane mentioned there, obviously, about uh, Warren Gatlin, Ronan, and the team that he selected. And like, I think the inference generally is that it's seen as a bit of an old school approach, and we might see a bit of sort of gatty ball or whatever was a ball, whatever we want to call it. Um, what about the flip side of that? Like a lad who's twenty five years now at uh, between his Connacht and Ireland days um, at the top level of the game. Like, I mean, it's an incredible uh, longevity. Yeah, but I think it's the exact same. I think the the man behind the coach is very interesting. Warren Gatlin, he's an in, an interesting man. He's engaging. Uh, boys would, you know, what I mean, run through brick walls from like all the boys in red do. When when we played for Ireland under Gats, he was he was impressive. So you know, I think what he has done, um, you cannot contest because wasps were were the one if not the best teams in Europe as well and then uh, he went on with um, obviously Ireland and then Wales and then the Lions and then obviously he had a bit of a setback with the Chiefs uh, but he's back again now and uh, it'll be interesting to see because it's uh, it is hard to go back I think that is that is uh, most definitely up for debate and you're kind of really looking at him to save it but uh I think um, it's the players that decide this. Warren has to create the environment. The players will have to take control of the game. Uh, but, um, I mean, the margins at test level are, are very, very small. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I think the roof is closed, obviously, so conditions yeah. should be good. Ball handling should be good. Um, how, I suppose, both sides look to uh, break each other down. 
It's brought up like the the Gatlin stuff. Obviously, uh, whenever he's involved against Ireland, brings up old sores and more recent sores. Was the Sexton dropping from the Lions squad and uh, was addressed again during the week. And Gatlin felt that it sort of positively contributed to the kick in Sexton's career over the last couple of years. From what you know of Johnny Sexton running, <clears throat> excuse me, is he going out to drive that home against Gatlin this weekend, or is it not a factor for him? No, I think as Johnny said himself, like he. Uh, the huge disappointment of missing out on that on that on that tour, uh, I suppose, made him um, have a look at himself and see where he could get better, and he has got better, and that's the credit to the guy. But at the same time, those disappointments uh, uh, stay with you. I can remember well in '09 when um, I was playing. Good rugby, you know, and uh, Warren was coach of the um, of the of the Lions team as well. And for the first test, I was probably unbelievably gutted not to be picked as a starting ten in that test, you know. But behind uh, Stephen Jones, considering we'd won two European Cups and a Grand Slam just before that tour, so you know I mean the 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 form is there. But I understand combinations too when you have a ten and you have your coach from the same country. There's a lot of trust built up, so in your head you're kind of going, "Okay, that's maybe why why he went that way." But those disappointments always stay with you and scar you. Um, but the good thing about sport is that you can't let them eat at you. You have to get back and you have to make a plan to um, to show what you're made of because uh, you know the more games you play and the more disappointments are, the more resilience you need and all, all of the uh, top players and no matter what sport it is they've all had huge setbacks it's everyone looks at the bigger picture sometimes but um, and they look at their CV and they go wow look how uh, impressive that is yeah it is but look at the amount of disappointments that are entailed in that as well You mentioned Ronan the, the importance of home advantage in the Six Nations um, and we know that the Principality Roof Stadium is going to be closed for this match which look it, it'll add to the atmosphere and um, when you were a player for Ireland heading over to Wales, what was your thoughts on, if any, the, the roof being closed or otherwise? I guess from a kicker's perspective, maybe it's a bit different. You're you're glad that there's no gusting wind, but uh, look, it does give an advantage to the home team. It creates a bit of a cauldron over there in Cardiff. Yeah, it does, but it also, with the condensation factor, that was the big thing for me playing, was the fact that even though, bizarrely, when it's closed, the ball will be slippier. Right, uh, because of eighty thousand people going into uh, an environment, and however that condensation effect is created by people's uh, body heat, um, so that's uh, um, you know, obviously it isn't an issue at line out because the ball gets dried at line out time. So you know you're going to have dry ball for set piece attack. It's only when you put it into the scrum it may become uh, a little bit slippery. But certainly the, there's a skid factor often in terms of tactical kicking, uh, which which is appreciated as a 10. But yeah, obviously, uh, even if the roof wasn't closed, you know, I mean, you don't get any swirling winds when you have such a high st- uh, stadium mm. around you. So it's a fantastic stadium. The crowd is so close. It's one of the best stadiums in the world, stadia in the world. And um um, you know, I think um, what well, the one thing Wales would be uh, looking to eliminate is Ireland to start fast. That'll be the one I think huge. There'll mm. be a, there'll be an almighty pace to the game in the first ten minutes, and 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 Wales will look to to start fast to try and uh, score first. If they do that, um, 
you mean scoreboard pressure is something that will put uh, stress on Ireland while conversely if Ireland score first it uh, may lead to a comfortable afternoon and that is exactly what the home supporters and the home team don't want yeah uh, like Ireland did last year, obviously, with a really quick start. And I mean, Ireland should have nil them last year, apart from that, that uh, burn pop pass towards the end that they, they ran in that late try. Is that a factor for them, like in terms of the motivation for it, Ron, and the getting up for it? Is that, uh, you know, we don't want to, let's not put ourselves in that same situation again in terms of that fast start that you're talking about? Yeah, I just think it'll be interesting, obviously. Um, you know, there's a big opportunity to Wales to to... Uh, paint this game in a very positive light and the fact that uh, you mean one of their teams have qualified for, for the knockout stages of Europe Warren Gatland is back there's a new coaching team there could be a complete uh, new buzz in camp there's a lot of proven uh, good players in, in, in the Wales team so they'll be trying to slip in under the radar from Ireland's point of view they're the number one team in the world they're going away to Wales it, it may be a tricky game but uh, in their heads, they'll be gone. Yeah, we need to be near near our best. I don't think Ireland have to be at their best to beat Wales, but I think if they're near their best, they'll go, OK, we've ticked off how many performances like this in the last 24 months. Get our preparation right, get our focus right. Let's attack these guys, let's put pace on it. Ireland's phase game in attack is really, really good. I think it's uh, comfortably the best of the of the home nations. And uh, I think that's where they'll put emphasis on... on um, on trying to um, to break Wales down, I think you look at Ireland and their detail in their lines of running and the forwards and and the intelligence of Johnny in trying to set teams up to uh, break them down a phase or two later. It's very very evident, and they have a big advantage uh, from what I've seen of the of the other uh, Six Nations teams. Uh, one last one for you before we let you away. I was just looking at the uh, the all-time scoring charts, Ronan, of the uh, Six Nations since it became the Six Nations in 2000. In third place, Owen Farrell, 500 points. Second place, Johnny Sexton, 531 points. And number one, still, on 557 points, Ronan O'Gara. He's only got 27 more points to, to overtake you. It's probably going to happen in the next few weeks. Um, how will you feel about that? I wasn't even aware of that, obviously. It's... it's, um, it's, uh, it's Fantastic to have scored so many points, um, and um, you know it's it's uh, it's something that's naturally going to happen. You know that's 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 what happens. You you post your target, and then uh, someone else comes on after you, and he posts his target, and that's um, that's a credit to, to Johnny's, um, I suppose. Uh, Standards, drive, competitiveness, uh, everything about him. So, um, you know what I mean? Something's going to happen, but uh, isn't it great for two Irish guys to be top mm. of the list? Stephen Hendry was, uh, you know, he was secretly, he was he was uh, verbally very complimentary to Ronnie O'Sullivan as he, as he watched his records tumble over the years. But I think when Ronnie got to the seventh world title and equaled it, he was secretly fuming, you could tell. Mm. So, Ronan, I think you're going you're to be outwardly congratulating Johnny when, when it happens, but secretly, I'd imagine inside you'll be like, if Decky, if Decky no, had just given me a few no, more games, no, 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 because but that's you know what I mean that's something that you learn in sport too. It's that you know what I mean it's easier to chase than post. You know, fair. So, um, that's why I think with 
I mean, winning Europe at Munster too. Obviously, there's Ulster were the first team, but it was without the uh, English teams. And, and then for the Munster team, it was very important that uh, we did that, you know. Uh, and it's but it's the same at every all the all the records, you know. It's 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 um, you give it your shot, you're you're. Uh, you, you, and then you're extremely grateful, you know. Like I'm finished nearly ten years mm. now, and Johnny's been playing extremely well for ten years, and um, that's that's what he deserves. Brian Ronan, thanks a million. Talk to you next week. Cheers. See you, boys. Thanks for me. Christoph, remember the guy there, La Rochelle Leon tomorrow four o'clock as well. I want to look forward to. We'll continue the Welsh bill. No, be, that's it. scheduling them. I couldn't. I know I, I did, the time I did, as well. Double check two or three sites last night to make sure it wasn't like a <laughs> miss. What are they doing? Blending them in the middle of the six yeah, agents. Talk about burying the game. Wow. Continue the get build up to the uh, the Welsh game now. Delighted to say, Lauren Jenkins, the uh, Welsh journalist, is on the line with us this morning. Morning, Lauren. Good morning. We were just chatting to Ronan there, Ronan Gara, about the uh, the atmosphere in Wales and the the roof being closed and what that brings to it. It's going to be a bit of a cauldron tomorrow in Cardiff, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, when you boil it down, yes, Ireland and France look like the teams that have given themselves the best chance. They look a cut above the rest. But when everything is stripped back, this is, as you say, a Six Nations opener in Cardiff. Wales very much looking for a reaction after that Australia loss. A new coach who knows how to manage a Six Nations test week. So um, I think there's a lot of optimism actually in Cardiff, but there would be, wouldn't there? Because we're week one and a ball has yet to be kicked. <laughs> it's plus a change, I think, when you see that that French team <laughs> and a bit of Warren Gatland as well. Like, was the was it all excitement in Wales when when Gatland took the job from Pivac? Yeah, well, I think you know you look at Pivac's record, and I think he himself knew that after that Georgia loss, um, a change was inevitable. I think this week. I'm hearing it's a very happy camp, but, you know, we can talk about the the reaction of the fans and the mood uh, amongst the supporters. But I think that's very much replicated in camp with the players. I think clarity is the main word I'm hearing, which we knew would be the case with Gatland. He'd, you know, bring everything back and um, just make sure he had some very clear, strong, simple messages. The players know their role. I'm hearing Alex King is a coach that's, very much likes the players' feedback, likes getting them involved as as much as possible. So, um, yeah, look, we'll see. The proof will be in the pudding, won't it, tomorrow afternoon. Gatlin very much talking up the uh, the Welsh underdogs tag this week as well in press conferences, saying, saying Wales, generally speaking, relish being underdogs. He probably has a point there. I mean, coming into a Six Nations game with Ireland, with, with Ireland expected to win, you know, if you look at the bookies' odds, albeit it's in Cardiff, Probably a nice position for, for Wales and Gatland to be in. Yeah, and he's also gone back to his tried and tested. So, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty familiar position to him. He'll be walking through his Gatland gates tomorrow with knowing he'll have George North, Justin Tipperick, Dan Bigger, Ken Owens, Alvin Jones, even plays like Scott Baldwin. He's brought back on the bench. So he's got a, he's got a lot of experience there and players he know. I mean, he, Said, I think in his Telegraph comment yesterday, he basically repeated the same quote he'd said in 2019 is, I asked these players to run through a brick wall for me. And then they turn around and say, OK, what do you want me to do the other side? Right. So there's a lot of <laughs> belief there amongst the players. Um, and I think, you know, from what I'm hearing and, and I guess from what I've been churning out all week is we know, we think we know how the game's going to go. It's going to be a very abrasive, attritional approach 
from Wales. You look back at recent matches v Ireland, they've made more tackles v Ireland than they have against any other team, right? 2021, 245 tackles, Tipperick with 29. Even back to 2015, it was 250 tackles, chat race back then making 31. So, um, you know, you think they're going to play better without the ball and just go out there and try and suffocate this Irish side. But, um, you know, who knows? As much as uh, you love having a back, Lauren, we also enjoy the uh, constant sort of narrative, uh, maybe from Gatland. He said a couple of years ago, there's the one team we love beating more than anybody else. It's the Irish. And I mean, that might be especially true from him. It just seems to be like a weird... Like, we're all supposed to be Celtic cousins. We're all supposed to get on. There seems to be like this weird sort of undercurrent of, <laughs> I'm going to use the word dislike, but that might be a little bit stronger than that between the two nations almost. Yeah, you know, that it's, it's not just between the two nations. It's probably quite personal, isn't it? I mean, the way Gatland um, left that job in Ireland. But yeah, look, I think history also recent record. I was quite surprised to be reminded at the start of the tournament that Wales had won the last four in Cardiff against Ireland because mm-hmm. in recent memories, particularly under Pivac, you're thinking of quite convincing Irish victories. So that will certainly count for something. And yeah, look, it's it's the first match and how many times have we used the word momentum so far this mm. week, right? It's a cliche, but it's true. And, um, you know, if Wales somehow manage to grind up to victory tomorrow, then they're away in Scotland. They've only got, you know, they've got two home games, but they're the two toughest team. Well, I mean, Bath, France, but England and Ireland at home are going to be two fantastic atmospheres to be part of it in, in the Principality for sure There is that undercurrent isn't there between the two like even we had we had Tom Shankdell on the show the other morning Lauren and he straight away it took him seconds to bring up Ireland's per record in a World Cup <laughs> like he just couldn't help but get the dig in there but I guess we want that like if, if there's a bit of edge around these Six Nations fixtures it adds a bit of crack to it Yeah and I get I get the impression that sort of a lot of Irish pundits are in particular are sort of waiting for them to slip up, right? But that's because they've been winning and winning well. And like you mentioned, they've got their poor record in the World Cup. And it's almost like, oh, you know, you're waiting to say there's still some, some way to go. They're not the perfect team. But that can easily happen in a Six Nations. It's less, you talk about Leinster and their 100% record in both the league and Europe this season. It's, it's different, isn't it? You're playing week in, week out. The Six Nations is a smaller tournament. Emotion comes into it, like I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, so it, it, it can, it can happen. And I think that's perhaps what gives Welsh fans and, and players a bit of belief. There are a lot of invariables in this tournament, but that's what makes it so great as well. There's a definite mix of old guard and youth, as you say, Lauren, in this in this Welsh team. Um, Lee Halfpenny, of course, named in the team originally, but back spasm means he's had to pull out for the third time in, in recent months from a, from a Welsh starting 15. So disappointment there, but Liam Williams, I mean, not a bad replacement to have. Yeah, I was asked yesterday, you know, what do you make of it? And I, I'm sort of indifferent about it because ultimately uh, you've got a player with a 81 caps replacing a player who has 97 <laughs> caps. And they're both, yeah, they're both different fullbacks, but they're both class in their own right. I think there is a concern that Liam Williams has only pl- played 180 minutes of rugby this season. Um, so it, it's a tall order for him. But I, I think I'm just more disappointed for Halfpenny on a personal level. You know, 97 caps a player 
who's so, so deserving of getting to his 100, and I'm sure he will. But the third time he's pulled out of the sat in 15 since, well, in a few months, it happened twice to him in the autumn. So, yeah, just hoping it's a, a back spasm he can get over pretty quickly. But, yeah, you say there's a balance of youth and experience. I mean, there's only three players in, in the sat in 15 who are under the age of 27, Rio Dyer, right. Jack Morgan, and... Joe Hawkins. Um, but yeah, in the squad as a whole, you've got David Jenkins, a young lot coming off the bench. I think we're assuming Alan Wynne Jones will bust his gut for 40 minutes and then we'll see quite a bit of David Jenkins. Um, and, you know, Gatland has, he said in his press conference this week, the message is people will get an opportunity in the Six Nations, perhaps the likes of, um, Kieran Williams, Mason Grady at centre. He said, we want to do well, but we have to think about the next eight months and how we get guys ready for France. Now, when Pivac could never have said that, right? In 2023, when he's had three years at the helm, blooded a lot of youngsters, he could never come out in a week leading up to the Six Nations and say, we want to do well, but we have to think about the next generation. But suddenly, Gatlin's just come in. He can say that. He's He's got time on his side to experiment a bit more so the pressure's off you know no one's talking about the Georgia and Italy losses for example because there's a new man at the helm and suddenly they become irrelevant Is that not sort of fine until uh, kick-off Lauren like the idea of little old Wales we're coming from nowhere here we're bringing no form and it's a shot to nothing I think was the expression that was used during the week do you go with that? I think you've got a point in that people are very quickly forgotten that even when Warren Gatland was on, you know, Wales's best winning streak, I think it was 14 wins on the bounce in 2019, people were still criticising his style, weren't they? They would, you know, bring up Warren Ball left, right and centre. So, um, yes, you're right. You know, we could be back to that old narrative next week. But I think, you know, it, then it comes down to how much will Warren have changed? Will Warren Gatland 2023 be... How different will he be to, you know, even the Warren Gatlin we saw on the Lions tour? What do you think, What do you think is the answer to that? Well, I think um, it's how much time has he got on his side? I don't know whether we'll necessarily see it in game one or two, but he's a smart coach, and I think wouldn't he love it more than anyone <laughs> if he, you know, could come out and do something or find just you know a way or two to unlock the Irish defence? He'd be sitting there thinking, well, you know, you've all been bringing up the phrase Warren Ball for the last however many years and and look at me now showing you something different. So it's just where, you know, whether he's gone at the time is how much Alex King brings to um, to the attack. I was actually quite disappointed that he wanted Howley because for me that was just going, you know, going back to that. I wanted to see a fresh voice, but I wanted Warren Gatlin to want a fresh voice. Yes, we've got Alex King. We've got to remember he, you know, it's him and Forshaw that are spending the most time um, on the park with these players. So, yeah, that'll that that that's yet to be seen. Finally, Lauren, give us your prediction. I mean, we need something from you here to stick on the Irish dressing room wall. Something to to rile up the players. <laughs> tell tell us by how many points you're going to beat us by. Oh, well, yeah, you know, I said on on our own podcast yesterday, I'm going for a wheel. I've got one with big wheels upset, so why not tomorrow? Um, so I'm going to say wheels by five. Wheels by five. Be that'll in. do That'll do for the dressing room wall, Lauren. <laughs> we'll send that on to Andy Farrell and the lads. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers, Lauren. Lauren Jenkins there. What do you think is going to happen? <sighs> yeah, like I was thinking in advance of this morning, um, confident, 
of an Irish victory. Mm. But then, as, as Ronan puts it, like you forget how important in the Six Nations home advantage is. Mm. And I think I, I almost feel like it's worth an extra few percent when it's in Wales. There's totally. just something like, we, we talk, we'll talk about the national anthems later on. But uh, and and look, some people think this is ridiculous to say this this type of thing, but it does have an impact. You can mm. imagine Roy Keane's response to me saying this. But the likes of the the national anthem, everyone in the crowd, the closed roof, the atmosphere in, in Cardiff. I don't know how many points it's worth, and there's absolutely no scientific way to prove how many points it's worth, but certainly in Cardiff, the the, the atmosphere has, a, has an impact on the game. I was talking to Gordon Darcy on Monday Night Rugby last week, and uh, we were talking about that sort of, uh, the compactness of Cardiff. I studied just mm. outside Cardiff, and I know the area a little oh, bit, yeah. and I'm familiar with it uh, from a nightlife point of view. It's, uh, <laughs> I say you later, do. Later kickoffs. It's, it's like... Um, it's just a mad. There's no other city like it in the in the Six Nations in the sense that like everything you can just throw a stone to everything. Oh really? Right. People do. Never been. Uh, yeah. It's it's uh, there's like one main street and the stadium is right there and all the hotels are right there and like you know when you go to Twickenham, it's a suburb of London and grand. Once you get the train out, you'll see some scars and stuff doing around doing the rounds and then mm. the area around it with all the you know the. Um, hot dog sellers and all that stuff in the front gardens on the way down and you start to ah, tap yeah. into it at that point but it's off out in the suburb uh, Paris is obviously the same Dublin to a lesser degree but it is removed Still obviously from the city centre yeah. uh, Edinburgh is kind of similar-ish to Dublin in that sense Cardiff is just everything is there it's right there and everything is on top of each other and Gordon Darcy was talking about like that that does feed in as a player mm. like you're getting out of your hotel you're seeing all the fans around straight away people are over looking for autographs it is a different feel about it I think that probably does feed into um, when the players are stepping out of the tunnel. How many years were you in, in Wales? Three. See, I, 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 did, I, I did slag the Welsh off in a few shit limericks earlier in the week and kind of abused them yeah. as a nation, so the Valleys were shit. How, but I have to say, the Welsh accent is, is for me, uh, number one. Warren's accent was pure uh, Cardiff. Fantastic. How's your, three years is enough time to pick up a... A Welsh accent. accent yeah, no. yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> have you heard me? Have you heard me recently? <laughs> have Do you, you want to try it? Have you heard me recently? <laughs> That's not bad. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't From be. Cardiff. Yeah, yeah it's, it was good. Like, as soon as you started speaking, Lauren, there, I was like, oh yeah, I love the Welsh. Cardiff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, it's it's an interesting uh, city and it's an interesting country. And I don't know why we have to hate each other, but I think yeah. we do because we, we both. I was going to say we both uh, like to dislike the English. You know, in a sporting, think in a sporting be, sense, that but, would in some way try and unite us a little bit. Yeah, but because like, we like, do like the Scots, like we like to beat them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we like we like to have a beer with them. I'm not sure the Welsh. See, the Welsh and the English are more aligned in, Oof, in many ways culturally. Wow, <laughs> possibly clip that. Well, Scotland uh, and Scotland and England have their wow. have the history that goes Jeez, all you're the way back. You're talking about Lauren putting something up in the Irish dressing room. That's Gatty is tuned in this morning. and He's like, lads, they basically said we're English. <laughs> not quite, but you know the the accent. There's a. Near the Welsh English border, there's there's not much of a difference. Whereas if you go to the Scottish English border, I think there's a divide there once you once you cross wow. the river. Wow, wow, wow! And Scotland have William Wallace and the whole history. You know, um, the Welsh have been shot upon from a great height for a great number of years, and like Maggie Thatcher was basically the sort of death knell in. Um, it, it is. It, I, it, I certainly take the point of the the Englishness. Well, the independence referendums are talking about. The Scottish independence referendum is going to happen within the next five, ten years, whereas the Welsh one... Well, they already have... Welsh are, the Welsh are already way ahead yeah, of the well, Scots in that regard. They have their own uh, parliament and all that sort of stuff. And, like, the nationalism is... Uh, uh, Welsh relations, nationalism is a big... Yeah, yeah. It's a big thing, the pride in the language. Pride people, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, there is a blurring of the border, perhaps. I'd say that's probably a fair enough yeah. observation. That's all I I'm just saying. don't know why that's we need to hate each other. No, I like. Uh, it feels a bit like I know the Banshees of Inisherin has been mentioned earlier. There's a little bit of that. I don't like you no more. Why do we not like them no more? <laughs> we not like them no more. I just they're, they're proud people. What's the film where where um, the, the hill that became a mountain? Is it? Oh yeah, the. Uh, I don't know what yeah, the exact name of the film. Uh, f- someone can tell us in the comments where they they bring stones. The true story: they bring stones up the up the hill to create a mountain because a mountain is a specific height, right. a very specific altitude. A, a hill becomes a mountain. Um, so, like, I, I love the Welsh. That attitude of carrying stones up a mountain just to or up a hill just to make it a mountain. Like, that's that's an Irish thing to do. It's mm. petty, pointless, like pointless and petty. <laughs> but you know what? We're going to make this a mountain, and it's going to be our mountain. Do you know? There's there's a a sense of pride and belonging and. As you said, a bit of nationalism and, and patriotism. Uh, they belt out the national anthem, which I really enjoy as well. So, I don't know why we hate the Welsh. I, I love them. It's a separate show. We'll, de- we'll dedicate a full yeah, we'll, show to we'll that. Yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, are we not going to talk about uh, Tom Brady retiring at Wonder Spectrecore, Adrian's favourite? Um, it's just basically the answer I give to any American football question that comes up in the crappy quiz. Um, Scott, uh, Cardiff is brilliant for a night out says David Kelly in the same breath saying Scotland has its own parliament I was gonna stick say, yeah. to sports lads Nicola uh, Sturgeon will be on the phone now in a second Wales are uh, Wales are not even a country and just a county of England oh, that's well that's a bit full on we don't we don't endorse that if anybody from Wales is watching the man who went up a hill and came down a mountain is it the, yeah, someone says the English man who went up a hill and well, came, down a, came down a mountain I think that's it uh, was, who was in that? Was What's it? that film about your man who went up the mountain? And it's a 1995 film. The English man who went up a hill but came down a mountain starring Hugh Grant. What's that about? Colomini's in it as it's well. It's like Snakes on a Plane. What, yeah. what, what's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> Colomini, of course, in Snakes right. on, or He wasn't in Snakes on a Plane. He was in Con Air, sorry. Uh, great film. Cult classic. <laughs> don't know why it came into my head, but anyway. Neither do I. I'm still wondering. Uh, we're talking Wales here. Yeah. Uh, do keep the comments coming into us. It's half past eight. It's Friday morning. It's OTB AM. We've Alan Quinlan still to come. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, about the rugby. We're going to talk to Martin Lipton in just a moment. And we have our, um, f- what's it called? Friday Fire Pit? Fire Pit. Friday Fire, Friday Fire Pit. Pit. Uh, Kathleen and Cameron are going to join us in the studio to talk about uh, Katie Taylor. And there was two other really good topics. Miking up referees. Miking up one. referees, yeah. Um, Oh, the national anthems. National anthems. Yeah. yeah. yeah do you yeah, yeah. do you know the words to the Irish to our on the Vian? Let us know in the comments, because I'll tell you what, some people don't. Mm. Some people just refuse to sing it. Of course, it's the, it's the other side. Folks, of the tune in for Adrian Barry's take. Uh, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. During the upcoming ads, you're going to hear uh, Paddy Andrews. He's going to talk about soccer being his first love, as he took on Nathan at uh, FIFA, and it was all part of the OTB Games Room. It's all in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A game with 99.9% broadband reliability. Martin Lipton, Alan Quinlan, upcoming after these. OTB AM. 8.33, you're watching OTB AM. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by football writer Martin Lipton. Morning, Martin. Good morning, how are we all? Flying it, thanks. Thanks a million for taking our call. Uh, there's lots of good stuff to get our teeth into, but uh, from this side of the water, we're interested to know whether uh, you feel that uh, Matt Doherty to Atletico was good business for the club or the player or a little bit of everything. Um, well, it's unfortunate, I think, that uh, he's had to go, but from a Spurs perspective, on, for nothing by letting his... Uh, his contract be terminated. I think for Dutch, it's a good move. He'll get a chance to play football. Clearly, he was going to be at best second choice, probably third choice with Poro's arrival at Tottenham because he's been earmarked very much as the first choice. And I suspect that they would only play Emerson next because he would be more defensive if there was a game where they wanted to really batten down the hatches. So Dutch, wouldn't play much unless he played on the left. His contract's running down. Uh, and 
it's a chance for him to play for a big team. Now, obviously, they've been knocked out of the Champions League, but they're still a big club, Atletico Madrid, uh, and they need players, clearly. They're in a bit of a, bit of a mess. So it gives him a chance to, to make an impact and qualify for Champions League again next season if he can uh, convince them uh, that he's worth a proper con- a long-term contract. There was a period of time where he had like fallen out of favour with Conte and he just couldn't get into the team and Conte would speak about it very publicly and then at some point he turned the corner and I don't know what that was in terms of fitness or understanding the system. But it felt like he was actually in a pretty good groove at Spurs. Is that overstating it? I think um, the longer he was there, the better he played, actually. Uh, I think the first year was a disaster. Uh, the second year, um, when Nuno came in, started poorly and he, he didn't appear for a long time and then he got himself into the team and then he got injured. Uh, and I think that hampered him over the summer. He had to work his way back in. Uh, you know, he scored a goal the other week, didn't he? And he's, he, I think the Spurs fans would say that they they didn't see the best of him but they saw more towards the end than they did at the beginning. Mm. You touched on it there, Martin. Um, like Spurs had hit their limit of, of eight international loans, so they couldn't, as it emerged later on in the evening on transfer deadline day, they couldn't loan him out to Atletico. It had to be a contract termination. Is that is that bad planning by Tottenham? I mean, as you said, they could have made some money out of him if they'd, uh, if they'd maybe planned it better. I, I suspect that they initially thought that Spence would be going on loan to an English club. Okay. which would have allowed them to send them, send Doughty on loan. Uh, the fact that Wren were the ones who came in and, and uh, Spence wanted to go there rather changed their planning. And I, I don't think, there's no way that this is by design. This is by accident, uh, which sometimes happens. I mean, the, what you do get in the, tra- the dying days of the transfer window is panic just about everywhere because I, I still don't understand why people wait until the 59th minute of the 11th hour to do deals they want they they know they want to do on January the first, but they do. It's like it's like studying for an exam, isn't it? You leave it all to the last. It's minute. cramming, definitely. Yeah, you get your best work done. Mind blowingly stupid to me, but there you go. <laughs> uh, the Dan Juma um, acquisition and um, Pedro Porro. How are Spurs fans generally reflecting on it? I mean, obviously all in the uh, shadow of the mad business that went on at Chelsea, but uh, must be seen as a pretty decent window for Spurs. I think if you look at it in, in isolation, it's not too bad. It gives them the right-back they needed, uh, another attacking option, particularly as Moore has hardly played. I think Spurs fans still wanted to see a proper centre-half come in, so there'd be disappointment there. And then you look at what's gone on elsewhere and the sheer scale of Chelsea's expenditure. And therefore, it conditions everyone in a way that perhaps it shouldn't, but it, it does. Um, and Chelsea have... Uh, broken the mould, simple as that. Not just in this window, but the one before. So this season, their expenditure is, is you know, would have previously been inconceivable. And, and yet they've done it. And one wonders quite how they balance the books, except by selling four or five English, probably, players, uh, certainly players at the, who are towards the end of their contracts for big money in the summer. So many players have come in and it's almost like a challenge to sort of uh, maintain stability there, Martin. Like, I mean, it's not like a sprinkling of talent into the squad. They've almost bought an entire uh, first full team. Well, they have bought the new team. I think that's the signal to those who were here before that they're not going to be part of the long term. But they're not even going to be part of the short term, really. They'll be part of the, you know, they'll be gone in the summer. There'll be a mass clear out. Um, and a bit of that is the first time in the 20 odd years since Ivanovic took over. It's the the players who are being got rid of, not the manager. It's a clear decision made by the new owners as a signal to the dressing room that we run the club, you don't. And let's be honest, the Chelsea dressing room has 
effectively determined for many years who the manager would be, or at least when the manager would go. Does it create a dangerous precedent in football, Martin, seeing Chelsea spend, I saw someone pointing out the, the, the amount of money they'd spent for, for almost a little bit more, they could, have, they could have bought West Ham United, which kind of puts in perspective the amount of money Todd Bowley has thrown out there. It's a bit mad. It, it is a, a large sum, uh, and it's, it, it's unsustainable. You can't keep on doing this because the club would go bust, uh, or at least it would breach all the rules and therefore go be, be a banned from Europe in four years. So this is a one-off hit. The, 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 the problem for Chelsea, or the dilemma, or the, is a lot of... They bought 15 players. At least eight of them have got to really work because if they don't and they want to get rid of them, they're going to sell them for a loss because it isn't just the transfer fee, it's the amount left on the transfer fee when you've amortised over such a long period of time. So if Mudrich doesn't work, I think he will, Mike, but if, if Mudrich doesn't work and they flog him for £40 million in four years' time, that's zero. That's not £40 million they bank. That's nothing they bank because they still owe £40 million from the original transfer. So they, they can't afford too many flops. And they also absolutely have to be in the Champions League because that's eighty million in revenue. Yeah, another challenge for Potter ahead. Quirky on YouTube here says, uh, Martin, any thoughts on who might be future Spurs keeper? Uh, which seems to suggest an inevitability that there will be one possibly in the next window. I think they're looking to buy the replacement, whether that's the immediate replacement for Luis or the one in, in a year's time. They've looked at a few. Melee has been uh, considered Raya at Brentford. Uh, I did see a link with um, the chap at Atletico, but I'm not sure that he's had a great couple of years, actually. Um, they Clearly, that it, it's coming to that point. I don't think they feel it's desperate, and they still like Luis because of his uh, stability in the dressing room, because of his mentality, uh, the fact that he's actually quite a big, prominent voice in that dressing room. And he just had a, a bad couple of weeks. He wasn't doing that badly when he saved the penalty from Kane in the World Cup. You know, I think people always looked at for negatives, which is understandable, but perhaps not necessarily the right thing to do. I suspect he'll do one more year uh, and they'll bring in someone to play alongside him. But what they need to get someone in who can genuinely challenge him and phase him out over the next 18 months. The last time we had you on, Martin, I think it was just after the City defeat, if I'm if I'm right, and I do remember clearly we spoke about the uh, Contes. Uh, you very eloquently spoke around his understandable uh, desire to leave for home given uh, life events and that he had basically, and I don't want to misquote you, but I think it was essentially that he had lost a bit of his mojo given what had gone on um, outside of football. Um What's the the Fulham and Preston results and the wins in the meantime? Obviously, has and the way he's spoken has any of that gone to change your mind? Or are you still of the same view? Uh, well, perhaps what we heard yesterday might explain it all. Is that he was feeling lousy because of his gallbladder, mm. and that might explain why, with other things as well, he became Mister Grump. I still suspect that he has. This is still a fact. The fact that these these deaths very close to him are, are clearly playing on his mind. I think even Stellini said that, didn't he, um, a couple of weeks mm. ago. I, I do think it's a factor. But of course, time softens blows uh, uh, and things can change. If you're asking me at the, this moment, do I think he's manager next season? No, actually. I think Pochettino will be. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm right. 
And it, because they, if he wants to stay and they want him to stay, then then he will stay. They'll they'll give him a better deal. Um, it all, I think the next few months will determine everything. If Spurs end up fourth or third, unlikely, but if they end up fourth or third, with money spending this summer as well, and they've already got the left back to come in from Udinese, who looks quite talented and doing very well. So they've got two from aggressive attacking fullbacks, exactly or wing backs, exactly what he wants for his shape. You've got a, a Conti-style team there if you can buy in another a dominant centre-half. So things might look better from everyone's point of, of view if that's the case. There's a vagueness about the utterance that have uh, come from the club about his um, surgery and his recovery time specifically. Is he going to be on the line this weekend? I would think not. I would hope not, actually. Yeah. Not because I don't want him on the line, but yeah. I don't think it would be good for him. Mm. I think he's got to listen to his doctors. People, I, I've read... Serious medics talking about a three to four week recovery for an operation okay. like this. Now he is it's not exactly manual labour, but he's a very um full on truck coach. He wants to he, he's a micromanager on the training field. And you can't do that if you're still feeling pain. And what I also read somewhere is that as a consequence of this operation, he'll feel quite potentially very serious pain in his shoulders because of the gas that's released by the by the operation. So, you know, probably the best thing would be to try and have a week or 10 days fortnight recovery and then come back rather than trying to come back too early. But he's a football manager and you never tell them what to do. <laughs> and it's nightmare timing, isn't it? Like, I mean, geez, of all the teams to be playing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a bit of a shot to nothing, isn't it? Because although, bizarrely, City have never scored at, uh, at the Tottenham Stadium, they're going to soon, aren't they? I mean, they're bound to because they're really good. And I don't think I don't think too many fans going there in normal circumstances would expect Spurs to get a win on Sunday. I certainly wouldn't. Uh, Christian Stellini, the assistant, was the man who took uh, the line in November when, when Conde was suspended against Marseille. Martin, is is it him straight away in taking training and, and on the sideline for matches, or yeah. what's the what's the leadership? Yeah, yeah, he's things? like he's his. I mean, you've also got Conte's brother there. And Conte will be on the phone, no question, and he'll be trying to relay things. But Stellini is the the chosen one, the disciple, the, the assistant, uh, his master's voice. I mean, he has been in the past. Uh, he, t- he took the team for three games at Juventus when he, um, uh, Conte was banned for um, you know misbehaving on the touchline. He did the same in uh, in Marseille uh, in that final Champions League game, if you remember, before Christmas. Um, like there's clearly no question but that Antonio Conte would want Tottenham to win that game but it's just a bit of a nightmare for him if they do go ahead and win it and he's not there to take the credit Oh I think he'll, he'll live with that I'm, I'm uh, sure yeah. he'll take the credit whether he's there or not <laughs> What's going to happen Martin? What's your view of uh, what happens on Sunday? Oh City will win because they're the better team and also I think they've got a desperation You never know Spurs could turn up Um I mean to be f- you wouldn't have imagined they'd be two up at City the other mm. week would you? <laughs> so it's football. Anything's possible. I think City are better. Uh, but, I mean, the, the ultimate irony from, from a Spurs perspective would be Spurs beat City and therefore ha- hand Arsenal the title, wouldn't it? That would be the, <laughs> the kick in the guts for any top supporter. Well, they were, they, they were, but, uh, so it goes. But more important for Spurs is finishing top four. Now, beating City against the odds will get them level on points with the clubs above them and right in that mix. 
They were, I mean, they, the, the, they were, I was so close to blowing open the whole thing yeah. uh, against City that day. Like, you know, hanging on a 2 0 even for a draw at that stage, you know, it obviously hugely increases their opportunity to get into the top four, blows open the title race. Um, you just can't trust them, Martin, is the. Never issue. could. Yeah. This is, but this is one of the reasons people support Tottenham Hotspur, because you don't know what you're going to get from day to day. There's none of this, you know, certainty of, of, of glory or, oh God, we'll lose again, or there's a bit of that. Because you just don't know, and you never have. Certainly not for the last forty years. Um, but part of being a football fan is that uncertainty. Because only one team can win. You know, if you only support the winners, what would be the point? It'd be dull. You're allowed to support teams that let you down, and part of it is it's a way of getting out things from all your pressures at work, isn't it? That that's football. That you want to win, but it's about being. Most people go want to go to be with their pals because it's tradition, because it's a family thing, because they want to take their kids, whatever it might be, the event is what matters more than the result. The result helps, but it's the event that matters. You mentioned, Martin, the uh, the desire of Spurs fans to have picked up a, a decent set or half in the transfer window. I guess now you have to wait until the summer. Any names that were mooted in particular? I'm thinking of they're, they're Harry Maguire sitting on the bench at Old Trafford. Uh, no, they're looking at Hinkapi at, at Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, it's definitely one they're looking at. There's the... Uh, the Korean who is now at Napoli used to be at Ferencvaros. Although I think, why would you leave Napoli at the moment? They could be the best team in Europe. Mm. Certainly, it's a shout for them. They're definitely the best team in Italy. Um, and there's another couple that I mean, they were interested in Skriniar, but he's done for PSG um, in the summer. In fact, that's why they tried to get him through a bit early. But he's on a free transfer to them. But I, I don't think there's any interest in any serious interest in in Maguire uh, at that at this point. They may come in the summer. Who knows? I mean, I don't think he's the worst option in the world, to be honest. Really? I'm surprised that a team with top four ambitions would be interested in Harry Maguire. Well, he's he's a good English centre-half. He's had a bad shot. But did he play badly in the World Cup? He seems to have the ability to raise his game he for does. England. Could be a good in fit. In a way that it's, I think there will be a lot of United fans very frustrated with him. Well, I, I mean, it's interesting. I think possibly the biggest problem for Maguire, and it wasn't his fault, was the price tag. Yeah. If he'd been a 45 million centre half rather than 80 million centre half, he'd have been judged differently. Well, he wouldn't be an 80 million centre half now, he'd be a 30 million centre half. Mm. And to be fair to Maguire, he's a proper professional as well. I know, look, yeah. most players are, but, you know, he, he puts the head down and he hasn't put in a strop at Old Trafford, you know, as he's been sitting on the bench. He came off the bench the other night against uh, Forrest in the Carabao Cup, but he just hasn't got the game time and he, he hasn't been complaining, which is a good uh, mark of a player to, to bring in. Yeah, I think that's it. It was. It, it can't go on forever because if you if, if if it goes on forever, you're Phil Jones, aren't you? Mm. Um, and you, it looks as though you're not that fast anymore. You're just staying for the money. So I think you, if he doesn't play a much be, between now and the summer, and it's clear he hasn't got a future, then he knocks on the door. But he he doesn't want to be disruptive. Uh, he sees it, it, maybe he thinks that actually there's still a chance I'll be, I'll be getting him really involved by the end of the season you, because footballers need to be. Optimistic, don't they? What happens with Chelsea Fulham tonight, do you think? Oh, well, um, the most interesting thing is how many of the new boys play. Yeah. I think Felix, is is he free now from, from his suspension? I'm not sure. Or has he got one more? I, I, I'm not quite sure on that. So, Mudrick will start, I'm sure. Uh, if Enzo's registered, I think he is. He'll, he'll start. It will be fascinating to see how it all comes together. Because... There's an awful lot of them. And it, what also be interesting would be the attitude of the three or four of the senior or you know, 
older players, that don't count Santos, who've been signed and then get told, sir, you're not in the Champions League squad because they can only change three of those. And that will be public. The deadline for that was midnight last night. So UEFA will publicise it either today or tomorrow. I think Chelsea will probably have to put it out today, to be honest. Yeah. All right. We'll look, we'll look forward to the weekends. Thanks a million as always. For, uh, Martin Lipton, Ryder with the Sun. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you. Bye bye. Cheers. Uh, Ten to nine on this uh, Friday morning. That is uh, really interesting and thoughtful stuff as always. I think um, I, I think Chelsea should rebrand and rename as Chelsea Crooks and play really play like twelve, thirteen, fourteen players because th- there's too many players there on um, the in the squad to to keep everyone happy. So I think Graham Potter should should probably look at it's eleven aside, but there's no there's no danger in throwing in a twelfth or thirteenth player there. Bobby Dwyer, I might be in the minority, but uh, good window. Danjuma brings uh, cover and improves starting eleven with Poro uh, after uh, crying out for a right wing back for eighteen months, arguably longer since Kyle Walker left. Bobby Dwyer, by the way, who said he's heading over to Spurs City on Sunday, uh, thinking Spurs can sneak a win. And um, looking forward to seeing the best strike in the world. And uh, looking forward to seeing the best strike in the world and Erling Haaland. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I played pool with Bobby Dwyer last week, was I telling you? No way. Yeah, f- fan, friend of the show. He's a, he's a mate of a mate. So. Oh, I just thought your DMs were open for anybody who's like... <laughs> oh, well, they are open for anyone who wants to have a chat. Um, but yeah, no, no. Good, good, a good man, big, good friend, big fan. friend of the show, regular, uh, regular comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And loves, lo- literally loves the Spurs. Right. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know any other Spurs fans. Ah, sorry, John Duggan, of course. Pool, um, because it's too short, and if Bobby Dwyer ends up being a weirdo, it's okay. You can sort of get out of town. Yeah, you see. Well, yeah, exactly. But um, there are blowing, there are blowing Spurs fans, as he made the point to me, um, of people who came to Spurs relatively late. Ah, stop. What does but, that mean? But he's he's one of those Spurs fans. What who, does that mean? Through thick and thin. You know, what does of, that even mean? Well, there's a lot of people who picked up. What's clubs. he saying? Like that they had they had a different club, and then when they turned thirty, they went, "Oh, look at this." That happens. That happens. Yeah, Some but people like, who just pick a club and, and decide to change it. You, like, you can't change your club, can you? I don't think that's true. Says you the man who's from Westmead. You can do what you sports want. Sports kill You can do what you want. Yeah. But to don't, be fair, don't you let anybody tell you, Jane. You can do whatever, <laughs> whatever you like. But you see, like I, we do around the world here every week. You can do whatever the hell you want. That's true. I'm giving a free reign. Um, like, I support United because... Uh, my granddad worked in construction in Manchester. Yeah, but you'd be, that's the exception. Like, most people support United because yeah. they're good. Well, and they won stuff oh, well, and their no. mates were doing it well I think because their their parents their father or their mother passed yeah but that was just picked up like it was Bobby Dwyer suggesting that there's some birthright like required to start following Tottenham and oh. like give, uh, by the way sorry given out about people supporting his own club like there's an expression that begins with for and ends in sake that like come on <laughs> you, don't, you don't want people supporting your club well you want you ah. want the true fans don't Arabs. you you don't want you don't want blow-ins that's rubbish you can't have blow-in fans. Why not? You can have whatever you want. That's Close. Uh, Who do you think fills Crow Park for All-Ireland Final Day? 82,000 people. Do you think they're Corbett's. the 82,000 people who've been at like the league matches and the O'Byrne Cup and whatever you're having yourself? Forget about it. It's people, event junkies. Yeah. Well, true. Like, like you're a proper Leinster rugby fan, for example. You're not a blow-in. You go to the, yeah. you go to the games. Well, I'm from Leinster and... Yeah. You know. Fair. I was probably a late-comer to rugby. I, I got into rugby more so when I went to Wales. Right. And a tight end. So it would have been like cheese and wine, 18. loving as well. No, that was very much more uh, lat- latter day. <laughs> right, <laughs> you weren't. You weren't going around the nightclub. Not at that point, Jane, I wasn't. Cheese not. and wine. No, I was not. I was not. Right, I was uh, far more uncouth, as they say. Um, what else have we got going on here? There's a lot of people chipping in in your thing that you were talking about. English, English went up a hill but came down a mountain. A real classic, Shane. Ha ha ha! Says Michael. Did we forget to the bottom of what the actual name of that movie was? Uh, yeah, there's the Englishman who went up a hill and, and came. 
who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Jesus, I'm telling yeah, you. 1985, Hugh Grant. Um, Hugh Grant, a lot of people are chipping in on that, yeah. Hugh Grant, yeah. He's he brilliant. was a surveyor, says Spectrecore. Yeah, it's a true story. True story, that movie, which uh, which really struck a chord with me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you have us all, I'm not going to lie now, and I don't mean to reverse back into my criticism of around the world, but it does strike me as like a bit of a um, sort of a bone uh, density type Sorry, we've got a, a sur- Spectre Corp, yeah. You're reading that comment? Anyone yeah. who wants to talk uh, bone density, space travel, snooker or spa, I mean, I'm here for you, Spectre. Let's do it. Uh, James McCullough is very thoughtful, I must say, on YouTube um, on the reason that we don't like the Welsh. The recent Irish-Welsh rivalry has been intensified by both nations challenging for the Six Nations titles uh, and the World Cup qualifiers in 2017, which uh, they felt we kicked bail and they broke Coleman's leg. He says, Scotland haven't challenged in the rugby for years and we've not had many football matches against them. I think we've had loads of football in both men's and women's. Yeah, fair point. But fair point on the rugby, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's never felt, though, even when they were good... I would have been going to games over there a lot and it's never felt to be that edge in to the relationship between us that we have with Wales, I don't think. Yeah. There's more of an edge to the Wales one, you're saying? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Where does it rank? Like, is it, I guess the English away games are the, are, the, are the big ones. You want to win at Twickenham. Probably it is Wales next. Scotland are third. They're ahead of... I don't know what I was going to say. The games in Paris mean a lot as well, but for historical reasons. But, yeah, you want those rivalries. Sorry, um... Uh, Cahill, no not Cahill, Neil Smith has said ah lads, been looking forward to Around the World segment all week don't tell me it's been cancelled. Check it up on uh, it's up on YouTube. YouTube, yesterday yeah. Neil, you missed it but uh, it's, it's up there, there on YouTube. for your perusal whenever, you're, whenever you fancy it. Exactly. 5 to 9, Alan Quinlan good morning to you. Morning lads, how are you? Where does the Welsh rivalry rank in terms of the nations that we hate the most in the Six Nations? For me, not not, not up near the top, um, we always got on very well with the, the Welsh players Um seem to connect and gel with them. I think the rivalry with Scotland would be a bit more. Um, I don't know. So, some players would say different. Um, I think the success of the, the provincial teams in Ireland for probably, you know, throughout the, since rugby went professional, I think the structure here and stuff like that, um, you know, Leinster and Munster have been obviously Leinster more successful in recent times, but, you know, challenging for Celtic leagues, uh, Rabo directs Pro 14s, all the different changes in names over the years. It's the URC now, um, and then internationally, I suppose you know Scotland for me were always a little bit more. I wanted to beat them more than 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 Wales. Obviously, there's very little as regards you want to win every match, but I I, I would never have seen. And that's why I was surprised a few years ago when Gatty came out with yeah. those comments about we we don't like the Irish we they're the one team we probably dislike the most. Is he um, the one responsible for all this? Like, is he the one sort of <laughs> leading the really, charge? No, no, it it happens in sport. Um, you know, even me saying Scotland there. Look, I've loads of great Scottish friends as well, and we always had great fun there and um, got on really well with the Scottish lads. I think. Um, no, I think he he. he I think he probably just tried to create some little bit of a sideshow and a bit of a story there. Um, but if a team is winning, and it doesn't matter how what your history or tradition is, or your, um, <clears throat> you get an extra spurt of energy and determination to try and knock them off their perch, and and that's happened a few times with Ireland. Wales have won four Grand Slams under under Warren Gatland, and you know been incredible. Well, three is it, and Mike Ruddock won one. Um, I'm not sure the exact numbers. Uh, forgive me for that. Yeah, but, 05 um, is Ruddock anyway. Th- yeah, they've been very, very successful. Um, and he, he gets the best out of players. But, you know, like Eddie Jones, you know, throwing a few comments out there just to 
to get papers talking about it and, and pundits and stuff like that. Um, but he's able to back it up and he risked that. I, I was always sceptical as a player, you know, and I, I, Roger was on this morning. I remember, I think I told this story before when we went to Leicester in 2007, 6, 7. Maybe, maybe it was 8 or eight, 2008. I can't remember exactly, but we went to Welford Road and he said, well, the URC is... The, the premiership is kind of blown up a bit that, out of yeah. proportion and the URC is good. And then obviously we were all panicking. He goes and kicks the winning penalty. Um, sometimes when you say these things as a coach or as a player, um, you risk kind of have an egg in your face afterwards. He's not said anything this week as regards, he's been complimentary to Ireland, you know, talking about Johnny making, probably making a mistake and leaving him out of the Lions tour. Um, and that's, that's the kind of position you're in as a coach. Um, and you take those chances, but um, he's gone back to the tried and trusted, hasn't he? Mm. And um, a lot of players who, you know, we talk about judgment calls and 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 knowing the person um, sometimes helps. And he's big into that. He was always a guy who'd be kind of wandering around, having little chats with fellas, asking them how they were, checking the mood of the camp. Um, big into the psychological stuff, and then you know had the the the, the brains and the know how to to get good coaches in who did on-field technical stuff. You know, that wasn't his forte. He obviously did a lot of the scrum stuff, but um, good at the mental stuff and good mm. at getting that emotion out, which is really important for, for something like this, particularly for Wales with their backs against the walls. Uh, 2006, that game. The, the When you looked at the 23, Quinny, during the week, two parts to this question. Who did you feel should have, been, should have felt most hard done by and uh, possibly related is the bench... Lacking a bit of impact player, a player who can change a game? Bundyaki can change a game, can't he? Ian Henderson can. Uh, Rob Herring always brings on loads of, of, of enthusiasm and energy. You know, with respect to Keane Healy, he, he's been an incredible servant, but he doesn't have the same zip that he used to have. That's pretty obvious, I think. Um, um, he's an incredibly reliable player and someone that I, you know, I have no doubt have him on the bench. Jack Conan brings obviously an enthusiasm and an energy. There's probably an argument if you're talking about, I think they've gone for more control experience in Conor Murray and Ross Bourne, that'd be fair to say, um, than Craig Casey and Jack Crowley. So obviously if you're kind of realised that, um, you know, it's going to be a very open game and you're going to be chasing stuff and having to, you know, really be, uh, play with pace and tempo all the time. You're probably looking at Casey and and Jack Crowley, and we've seen Craig Casey do that a lot for for Munster and for Ireland the last couple of years. Um, I think Andy Farrell knows that this is going to be a bit of a dogfight, and I and I suspect it will be. Um, it's going to be small margins. It's about getting the small details right, your breakdown, your lineout, stuff like that. Um, but I think Henderson and Conan are two really good. And obviously, me being a loose forward myself when I played, these guys can make serious impacts because they're on the ball. They're around the ball a lot. Um, and, you know, up front, it's having that, that bit of an impact. Tom O'Toole, it's a bit of a, it's a big one for him, you know, if something happened, Finley Beelham early on. Um, and obviously, Finley Beelham starting the game, you know, I think the only, slight concern I would have um, is, you know, that scrummaging. And nobody does it pre- really worldwide as, as nearly as good as Ty Furlong on a consistent basis. So he'd be a loss to any team. And Andrew Porter, you know, has had a few creaks and issues that 
at the loose set side, it's nothing to do with strength. I think it's still learning to him learning technically and to be a bit street smart and and a bit wise to to um, more experienced props and stuff like that. But um, there's no surprises there, and I think look, the bench is pretty good. I no one should, you know, Craig Casey maybe has an argument to say, well, I'm I'm kind of the perceived starter now for Munster, and why am I not on the bench? But not like um, a, an Osborne or a Coombs or a Baird. I don't think they have a, an argument to be kind of banging at the, the coach's door and saying, um, I'm playing better than someone else here. Um, well, Osbor- Osbor- Osborne could. Osborne could. I mean, you know, Blackie's not, brilliant, not playing let's, at the minute. Let's be honest here, guys. There's a big difference between Europe and international rugby. And being on the front foot, playing with Leinster against Gloucester and... and um, Rassing, that's not taking anything away from Jamie Osborne. I'm a massive fan of his. The, the thing that stands out for me is the game down at Thomond Park against Munster, where Munster were nearly full strength. Still some injuries, of course, but it was a strong, strong Munster side on paper. Leinster mixed and matched a little bit. We know they can do that. I thought he was incredibly impressive that night in the tight stuff, in the hard yards and stuff like that. Of course, in the Rassing and the Gloucester game, we saw line breaks. And he was brilliant in that game over in Gloucester. Superb. He's an incredible talent. But, you know, there's probably an argument that you could have put him straight in there. But I just feel Stuart McCluskey, he got the chance and the opportunity, even though he's been around a long time. Um, I think he's improved his game. There's more to it just than just being a battering ram. Jimmy Osborne is going to have a, a, a big, big international career. I've no doubt about that. Uh, but sticking him straight in there over in Cardiff, um, George North running into that channel, um, Dan Bigger, you know, putting balls up in the air, Tipperick getting at him. You just don't know. Okay, maybe it's maybe he should maybe he should roll the dice and start him. But I think Midlusky deserves to be in there, and um, we will see a lot of Jamie Osborne, and I think we'll see more of him in the, as the championship goes on as well. Mentioned Tyke Furlong. It looks like he's going to be back at least for the for the French game, which is positive news. Uh, on Finley Beelham, uh, Quinny, I mean, he's almost become a Mister Reliable in some ways. He played all five Six Nations games last year. The two New Zealand tests last summer was brilliant off the bench against South Africa as well. So you almost feel with with Beelham now, albeit a relative lack of cap, caps compared to Furlong, he is a man that you know once you throw him in there, he's going to do a job. Yeah, he has stepped up, and and what I like about Finley Beelham is he's there's no kind of there's no nonsense. He gets a lot of bangs and knocks, and he's hard. Gets back up, goes again. Setbacks. I think the the only kind of problem Finley Beelham has is actually physical size. He's not the biggest prop that you're going to meet. He's not 120 kilos, 125 kilos that you get some tight heads, and a lot, a lot of the international tight heads are. Um, he probably just doesn't have the sheer weight. Technically, he's a very good scrummager um, and he's got to be kind of cute in the way he scrummages. You know, there's no doubt that that Wales will try and target him, try and go after him. And all of that Irish scrum um, set piece is going to be really, really vital. But Finlay Beelham is Mr. Reliable, you know, and he's time and time again, he's uh, a tenacity and a, a kind of an endurance that just keeps going all the time, works his socks off, makes lots of carries, tackles, clean outs, and breakdowns. So his all-round game is outstanding. 
the only question mark it's not even a question mark it's just it's it's physics really isn't it mm-hmm. he's not the biggest prop in the world um, talk to us about the back row like um, Omani, Van der Flaer, Doris against Morgan, Tipperick and Falatow so much experience there a couple of back rows and know each other very well maybe Morgan um, aside but he's a big prospect Quinny they, they pay, place a lot of value in this guy yeah he's a, he's a brilliant player he's um, he's uh, Sean O'Brien-esque like I think he's he's you know he's so sturdy in his feet he's powerful Big, strong upper body, um, great power in the leg drive, all that kind of stuff. And he, and hard and abrasive is what you want. You know, you're not going to get any soft backers at international level. Um, Tipperick, um, you know, has been around a long time. He's 33, 89 caps. So, you know, proven track record, um, steps up, delivers and, and Falato, you know, incredibly Falato for me is only 32 and, um, he's been around so long, 95 caps. He's a wonderful player. He's so that the back row battle is really, really crucial. Um, and I think Peter O'Mahony, Caelan Doris, and Josh van der Fleer, they need to have big games here because we've, in the games we've lost over there in the last four, I think it's an area that they've got the better of us. You know, our back row haven't carried as much. Um, two years ago, four years ago, uh, Navidi, Tipperick causes all sorts of problems with the breakdown. You know, you have your scrum half digging for the ball. And, and you know, Ireland have shown that when, when they get quick quality ball and they're efficient at the breakdown, they're, they're, they can play. They back themselves to play. I think the biggest example of that was down in New Zealand where you could easily retreat into yourselves and try and kick to the corners and play for territory. They're a confident side. But what do they do if it's, it gets slowed down? if there's um, problems there. Um, and that's the thing that they need to learn. People often say, what will they learn from the Six Nation? They're going to have moments and periods in the game where they might have to just play off slow ball. How do we regenerate quick ball? Uh, Johnny's kicking game, Gibson Park, calming things down and, you know, putting the ball up the field. So um, I think the all-around attack is, is really good, but that back row battle is a really, really crucial one. And I, I think... You know, there has to be a real emphasis on Pete, Peter O'Mahony and, and Josh van der Fleer to, to nearly go man for man after them and make sure that they let them know this is not going to be easy. What's the Achilles heel of this Welsh 15, Quinny? Where can Ireland target? I don't know. Um, I think collectively they're a very good side chain. You know, when you see the experience, look at the back, players in the backs. Um, I think Rio, Rio Dyer and Joe Hawkins, they're the inexperienced. So you've got to try and make sure you kind of make them understand what the intensity and tempo is like. Um, I'm sure Johnny Sexton would put some high ball on Rio Dyer. He's incredibly quick. Um, maybe maybe it's pace and tempo. You know, you look at their front row, Thomas Francis, Ken Owens and Gareth Thomas. I think it's about playing tempo, pace, energy, and Leinster do that. And the vast majority of these players are from Leinster. So I think it's... Um, they're not going to be focusing on um, individuals and small small things. I think, you know, overall, I think it's about ba- them back in their own game plan. And I would suspect if there's any sort of weakness is that if they get pace in the game, I would suspect that Wales want to kind of control it a little bit more. But if you look at the Warren Ball game plan that, that was very successful for him, it's all about going around the corner, make, making people tackle, regenerating ball really quickly. 
Um, but I think Bigger is going to kick a bit. He's going to put up up and unders. They're going to try and get the crowd screaming and roaring at Hugo Keenan, James Lowe and, and Mac Hansen in that backfield. Hope that they spill a ball, you know, to knock it on and stuff like that. They're going to look for those kind of moments. So, obviously, um, you know, picking out weaknesses. On paper, it's a very strong Welsh side. If this doesn't, doesn't go well for Wales, the problem Warren Gatland has is where does he go to from here? Because he probably hasn't had a lot of time, preparation time. So he's gone for a lot of experienced players who've delivered before. I think there's eight that have been there since 2012 that played under him in 2012. So there, some of them around a long time. Ireland got accused of that. And uh, I think in this cycle, Andy Farrell has made a lot of changes. Um, a lot of younger players probably experience and understand what the principality is going to be like this weekend. So it'll be pretty intense and, and Gatti is going to try and get the most out of his players and, and rely on that emotional factor as well. Yeah, we'll be glued to yourself and Dave tomorrow, quarter past two. Uh, yeah, don't, Ash, if I could say, Adrian, just before I go, the 20s is on tonight in Cowland Bay. Um, I'm about to shoot off now for that. There's some incredibly exciting young players on the Ireland 20s team. They play Wales at seven and it's on Virgin Media too. So um, just for the listeners to keep an eye out <laughs> in the 20s as well and the next mm. generation, Come Sam on. Prendergast playing at 10, Keen Prendergast's brother uh, and Hugh Cooney. Um, I was told by someone during the week, possibly the next Brian O'Driscoll. Now, maybe I'm, no pressure. Maybe, wow. Uh, maybe, Jeez, you were comparing maybe, Morgan to Sean O'Brien earlier and I thought that was good bloody hell no I, I just think yeah, obviously when I say that Jack Morgan I think some some similarities but you Cooney has been talked up of um, uh, wow. Paddy McCarthy is Joe McCarthy's brother Conor Tierney you know in the second row who played last year as well so um, there's two Sheehan's on the bench uh, Frankie Sheehan's nephews would you believe and no Paul O'Connell's nephew so I have to I'm say certainly- Quinny, I'm not going to lie to you when you started off giving, giving me the sell there I thought it's unlikely but I'm in yeah I'm yeah, yeah. In. You've sold done, you've done the job yeah. give that man a pay rise Evan O'Connell Paul's uh, Paul's nephew as well so there's a few um, where does he play he's what second row right. yeah he was Jesus. on the bench this year for one match for months <laughs> he's still only kids and, and Frankie was on to me last night uh, saying uh, don't forget to mention uh, the two Sheehans on the bench. Well, I said, Frankie, I'm on commentary, so I, if they come on, <laughs> I'll no obviously mention them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only but good say, uh, yeah. So it's on Virgin tonight at seven. Well, so. I'm in. I'm all in now. That's it. Sold. Sold. Come on. Thanks, Quiddy. Okay, cheers, lads. Cheers. Good luck. It's uh, 13 minutes past nine. You're watching OTBAM. We've had uh, loads of comments coming in here, but the one that I want to just mention briefly before we move on uh, from Tender Chicken. I'm here for Adrian's passive aggressive undermining of Shane. I can see a future HR meeting <laughs> arising. Um, I mean, I, it doesn't, first of all, there's nothing passive about it. Like, <laughs> it's surely. just full on aggressive. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm just being honest, Shane. You know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate Like, the honesty has resulted this morning in a lot of positivity. It has, yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. Even in relation to that shacket. I think Adrian was just, folks, cranky a couple of Fridays there, do you know? He, he, now that the Six Nations is back, oh. he's, he's he's loving it. He's loving life. He's no, no. good humour. I don't want to be sort of offered the idea that this is going to be the case every Friday morning. I'm okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think that for a shacket. And yeah. bring, bringing it with, around the world. You'll come in with a shacket next Friday, hopefully. Jesus, I'm not sure I could. I'm not sure I could rock it. Ah, you could haircut and all. Uh, um, right, <laughs> what are we doing there? The, the, the sports radio is that ought to be sports radio uh, today. Half past ten is going to be the football kickoff uh, live um, 
uh, at half past ten looking ahead to the weekend's football Jason Sherlock will be the subject vote to be gold from one Tyrone from Mount Rushmore at three we'll have Tony Sheridan who's the Team 33 League of Ireland legend at four and Chris Waddle the subject of our OTB Gold interview from six and you can follow OTB across all of our social channels subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network where you can get all the best in the latest of sports content after the break Kathleen and Cameron will be joining us in studio for the Friday Fire Pit what is it called Friday Fire Pit? Friday Fire Pit. Say we just put a bit more thought into dominating the comments box this morning. You've got to call it like it is. It's Friday like what? The Friday Fire Pit. It has its own sting now, so it's going to be here forever. Kathleen, Cameron, good morning to you. Morning, guys. Welcome on in and around the fire pit. Yeah. We should get something to send nice, to the screen. Nice and toasty, isn't it? Yeah. The oh, idea yeah. of the fire pit is what, that we throw things into it and yeah. forget about them forever, or that we sit around chatting about stuff that we like to talk about? Well, kind of part of the thinking behind it was, I mean, once we get to 10 o'clock tonight, or today, our um, listeners have to suffer with the fact that this is the longest point between OTB AMs. Oh, so yeah. we, we oh, thought we'd set up the fire pit to kind of let it burn over the weekend and give you things that we talked about during the week, but also points to consider as you you um, wait and think about OTBAM instead of, you know, tending to your family or having hobbies. Um, we thought it's a good way of burning through. And actually, this week, we've only we've got an extra day to wait, so we need to make sure that there's plenty on the fire. One for the pyromaniacs out there. Yeah. A long time between now to BMs was not a thought I've ever had before, Cameron, so thank you for bringing that fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of quick comments before we get into it. Dave Cos uh, says Wales will win. It's a World Cup year. Ireland fall is preordained. Uh, Roger's a serious manager, says Michael. Really excellent interview in chat. He's transitioned from playing field seamlessly over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Shane has another cracking shirt on, says James McCullough, who obviously likes an old drink on a Friday morning. Shack it. It's called a shack it. And Darrow Tool wonders if my fresh fade has been covered yet. Was it paid for, or was it, uh, or was it his immeasurably patient life partner? Yeah, I tell, tell you what, Adrian, it is fresh. It, like it, it, it does, fresh like it does. It makes you look younger as well. It looks like <laughs> down to the kids. Should, How do you do, fellow it, kids? I need to get it once a week then. Is yeah, 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 yeah. I'm the shacket. You definitely have to come on yeah, with yeah. the shacket yeah. next yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, you want yeah, Shade and I can go vintage shopping for you. Yeah, you won't even have to put that. You could totally do that. I'm not going to wear them, but certainly no fast fashion. No fast fashion here. It's all about the. Some of the vintage shops. Good for the environment. Self, self, what is I'm, I'm up for that. I'm up for that part. I mean, the fire probably. Where do you sit in all this, Cameron? I, I like vintage. It's uh, my friend says there's nothing good to get anymore, which I think is kind of the opposite of the well, point. No, is that is. like with the passing of time, things become vintage. Mm. But um, I don't know. I've I've yet to really properly indulge. Like a good wine, the older it is, the better. Um, we've. That's 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 actually not. I mean, it's, it can be largely true, but not always true. Not always Shane, true. there are a lot of exceptions to that. Okay. I'm saying this very pointedly in your direction. As a good wine, as a good vino expert, um, we've three things to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about uh, national anthems because there'll be a series of tweets tomorrow saying, "Oh, I love the Scottish anthem," etc. Yeah. etc. Mm, et yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about miking referees, which came up at uh, the debrief yesterday at Croke Park, mm. and we're going to talk about Katie Taylor and uh, will it won't it uh, looks unlikely maybe it'll happen in September um, discussion so uh, where does anybody, everybody feel they want to jump in on Kathleen you're producing today so you're prerogative uh, I feel like Cameron was quite passionate about the anthems earlier and yeah. this is my favourite part of the Six Nations I yeah. won't lie you know you wake up in the morning Six Nations day you kind of you know you run around the house and you're like yeah it's starting <laughs> and then you hear the first thrills of the anthems so long as it's certain anthems and not other ones and you're yeah. like okay I'm ready for this. This is going to be great. That's it. I think um, we've talked a lot about divisions and weird divisions we have with Wales. And I suppose Quinny said that Scotland was a big rivalry, which mm. I was very surprised about. 
But the one thing that I think unites us and the English is our anthem envy. Every time I, like, I'm really looking forward to France-Italy this weekend because it will be a good game and I'd like to see how Italy shape up. But I'm also looking forward to the anthems and everyone always tweets about, God, do we talk enough about how good the Italian national anthem is? <laughs> I think we do. Like that. I it's think a bit like people say Dennis Irwin is underrated. Yeah, yeah. at a certain point he just becomes rated. Mm. Yeah. Um, John O'Shea was versatile. Yeah, exactly. And when people talk about getting rid of Italy from the Six Nations, I'm like, but the anthem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where am I going to hear it then? That's Georgia. <laughs> could yeah. Georgia just do that? Then we'd be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Could they do a Georgian version of that? But mm. it's part of the whole Six Nations cliches kind of stuff that I love. Because I think people get very frustrated with cliches. But cliches are great. They're enjoyable. They're comforting. There's nothing better than looking forward to either the anthems or waiting. How big does the deficit have to be before we call? Italy's performance brave um, do like every time a commentator has a front rower on the panel they have to go so talk us through the ancient art of scrummaging that, that kind of stuff I always enjoy Big um, man, yeah. yeah and mad French and Italian TV direction during the game when the games are in Italy or or uh, in Rome or Paris. Where they just forget about the action for about five minutes and show you like some guy painting the action. Yeah, yeah, where, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, where they focus on completely the wrong thing in the replay. I'd say if the French had their way, they'd show it in monochrome and be quite artsy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd be here for that, I I'd, be, I'd love that. That's one of my favourite parts. It's just, what, are the, what shot are they showing us right now? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you just let the pictures do the talking? But um, the point of that is, like, so much changes from year to year and... On a kind of sadder note, this is the first year we won't have Eddie Butler on commentary duty um, for the Six Nations, which is, you know, he's going to be really sorely missed. Um, but it's the constants, it's the things that I look forward to in the Six Nations, apart from the action, that really make it for me. Like a safety blanket. Like a safety blanket, exactly, yeah. Um, Dave McIntyre, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly biased in the conversation, but uh, Dave McIntyre is uh, he's brilliant. exceptional. Oh, he's brilliant, yeah, yeah. Uh, ever since it's spinning, I can't not listen to Dave doing a Six Nations. Self and Quinny, they feel a bit like a comfort blanket to me, you know. It's yeah. like for like Ant and Deck, you know, they work together. Who's Quinny here? Gone for their, <laughs> to I was trying to best. give them a compliment, Jim, but if, <laughs> that's a compliment. Is it? Oh, yeah, As in, yeah, they've I'd been say, around yeah. for ages presenting crap TV shows. Great on, great on air together. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's rescued. That's rescued. Can't have one without the other, though. Exactly. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. Fair yeah. point. That who stands on the left? Yeah. Who stands on the right? <laughs> that that national anthem stuff came up. There was a campaign this week calling on everyone in Ireland to learn the words to Iron Navian. This is the Learn Our Anthem campaign launching with a competition for primary school children. So there was a campaign, and those people on News Talk during the week talking about this, saying the national anthem and knowing the words should be important to everybody. She says it's no secret that the majority of us here in Ireland don't know the words of a national anthem. Is this true, though? Like, do the majority of people not know it? I know sometimes people might kind of fumble over a word or two, but I don't well, think I, I've ever met someone who doesn't know the national anthem. Didn't they really? have to put, it up, put the words up on the screen at Crow Park a couple yeah. of years ago? Some of my Was friends, true? Some of my friends, in fact, a, a, a right few of my friends don't know the words. Like, like, don't, like they, as, uh, you okay. know, they mumble it and then they come in for the last two lines, which everyone knows just so everyone starts cheering. But I they sat don't down when I was in brownies as like a little girl and learned the national anthem because it was in the back of our brownie guidebook. And that's the sort of patriot that I am. <laughs> I, I have a bit of an issue with like, what we must learn the anthem and you have to know the anthem. Why? Why? No, 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 no. Why do you have an issue with it? Because why do you have to, why do you have to know the anthem? Because like, it's patriotic. But why do you need to be patriotic? Well, you don't need to be patriotic, but it, it's, it's almost like... No, but they're saying it's you need to know the words thing. of the anthem. And you're saying that because you need to be patriotic, and I'm just saying... Are you, not, patri- are you no. not patriotic? 
You're not patriotic. No, well, there is like there is. Well, why are you not patriotic? <laughs> like, why, why? What's the requirement to be patriotic? It's not a requirement. It's not a thing you have to attempt to do. No, but you just like, naturally are. Well, patriotic. exactly. That's what. That's the issue. One of the issues that I have with it is that you're. It's like by default that you're supposed to stamp your card and say. Well, my starting position is I'm patriotic, and I sort of mean slightly the opposite. Doesn't mean you believe in. Could you not like drive into it as opposed to being reversed into it? Well, you could, but it it doesn't. This doesn't mean you have to be Irish exceptionalist. Oh, if I'm patriotic, then I'm forgetting about the rest of the world. No, except that. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is. You have a soft spot for your country. Do you not? When you were abroad in, uh, in Wales, did you not that, really love Ireland? Now, and thinking now, about in Irish classic uh, fashion, don't misrepresent the point that I'm making. <laughs> what I have a soft spot for my country. That is without question. Mm. But then, but I'm then not you're patriotic. especially patriotic. What I would rather is that you know the bureaucrats who sort of got the pencil out, uh, either literally or figuratively uh, through war, did away with it, got the other end of it out the rubber. And like just deleted a load of borders, I'd be way happier but, with that. But sure. nothing, like they're just set up to be sort of create differences. But, whereas actually, we're all way more alike oh, than we but are. But surely the most, like the anthem, is the most inoffensive expression of you know it's your national. Not about war, about uh, about so soldiers. Yeah, it, but it is. Soldiers. But it's how, the gusto with which if we change I know, but it, like that's not offensive. Gusto though. is grand, but like if you're singing, I want to kill my neighbors. Well, that's not the words. Well, that's like, not the words. Like, 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 the if you go to the Stade de France. I was there last year, and oh, it was genuine chills listening to La Marseillaise. Great anthem. But again, that's about killing. Yeah. A lot, like the last line is that we might spread the impure blood yeah, over our furrows. When, when you're like, like me, right, or loads of Irish people who don't understand what the Irish anthem is about, mm. it's not about the words so much. Soldier, but song. I just um, yeah. sorry when I'm at, when I'm at a GA match or a soccer match, and the, and our Ron Vian comes on, I'm that annoying person who is belting it out. Like, I sing the national anthem with gusto. Like, Cameron and Kathleen, do you do that? Like, when you're at a sporting event? Yeah, well, I think, like, there's... I Like, I understand what you're saying, Adrian. I do think there is a, a line somewhere. But, like, I personally just find it quite fun standing at a match, roaring out the national anthem. It doesn't necessarily... Like, I know we say... And I'm possibly going to be hypocritical in this point at some stage, but like I think it's like how we approach a lot of these things, especially around sporting events, where we're not thinking about it. it we associate it with something else. We associate it with that match day experience. We associate it with that like patriotism that Shane was talking about. I'm not necessarily saying that you are or aren't a patriot if you don't know the national anthem or you don't care about Ireland if you don't know the national anthem. I just found it strange because I thought it was the sort of thing that, you know, you learn in school, you hear enough around the place that you can kind of sing along and you get with it. And like we were taught, this is what I was going to say when I say I'm being a hypocrite in this. We were talking about it before we came on and the fact that like when I was covering games over in England I never stood for the English national anthem because my family are from the north and that means something very very different to me and then I think it was Emma said but she was like would you stand for the Australian national anthem or the South African national anthem and obviously there's all the ties and difficulties with those countries as well so like it's one of those things where I feel like there's no right or wrong answer and people are going to do the things that they think makes them happy and if not singing the national anthem is right for you then that's right for you if not standing for one is right for me that's okay as well it's just it's complicated and it's definitely one of those massive grey area sort of issues I don't think there's like a a right way or a wrong way to approach it I'd apply the same logic to the knowing of the words do you know the words? I I do know the words. Do you sing it at sports events? No. Why? Because I, I've, I've, I've literally... And like I appreciate what I'm saying is not necessarily a popular opinion and it makes me sound cantankerous. I'm not cantankerous about it. It's just my way of living. I'm not particularly... Uh, if there was war tomorrow, I ain't going to are you, war. Are you embarrassed about your voice? 
Do you not like singing? Have you met me? Have you met me, Shane? No, that's uh, that's never going to be a factor. But um, yeah, that's just my view. And I just, I, as I said, I appreciate it's not the general view, and that you're open to criticism for it. Because, as I said, the default setting is you should be proud of your country, and you should be willing to go and fight the English and do it. That's but just that's not, not where what the I'm song's at. about. That's not what our own I know, but you know yourself. No, that's the subcontext. Think, a, lo- a lot yeah. of Irish patriotism is hooked around hating the English. Mm. But that's because they took over for 800 years. I know, I'm not saying, look, that's fine, and that's your view. That you, you're entitled to have your view about it. When, I, when I'm singing the National Anthem, like, I'm living there in, near Arbor Hill, and every time I walk past Arbor Hill Cemetery, I genuinely... Pull the chi- flag out of your pocket. No, but <laughs> I genuinely get a chill up my spine because I think about the East Horizon leaders that are buried in there, just from a historical point of view. But, like, I'm thinking about all these things, maybe I'm too emotional, when I'm singing the National Anthem. But I, I don't think patriotism is a thing to be feared I, or I afraid of. It, it's whatever kind of... Um, feeling it stirs up in you, even just listening to it. Like, I could see how sitting there and actually just listening to the anthem would give you enough of a stir without necessarily having to sing it. Mm. Like, if I... This is going to be very uh, embarrassing for me, and my friends will definitely bring it up again. But if I need a little lift sometimes, if I'm doing something big, I'll listen to the 2007 anthems in Ireland, England. Because, oh, the anthem... That was exceptional. The pathos and... The impact of those is phenomenal. But that was a different thing. I was at that game, and that was a very different thing. Mm. It was like the whole context and the lead into it as to whether they were going to be yeah. food. Because that was a slightly different... That was like that was the exposing of, in a, such a raw way, the, the modern relationship between two... I don't uh, think it's enemies. different, though. I think it's the same... It's a strand off of it. I don't think you can say it's different, because we wouldn't have had that experience if it wasn't for all the other stuff, and it wasn't, if it wasn't for how people felt when they sang the national anthems mm. or sure. how, like how they feel when they swing, sing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot around Twickenham or whatever it is. You, know, you, you don't have those big coming-to-a-head moments without all the stuff that goes before it and all the feelings that are in it. But also, we have many topics to get through. Sorry. Producer Hosh, back on. I got, whoa, Jesus, hi guys. Here we go. The atmosphere is just the atmosphere are serious, I thought. Um, well, it you does, know, it if does, we start uh, ref- or putting mics on refs, maybe we'll start it hearing does, them it does, it does, just before we hop onto that, it does, uh, it, it's, it's definitely struck a chord with people, right? There's loads of stuff coming in Uh-oh. here. Um, <laughs> I'd say people are loving you, your opinion here, Adrian. Well, Michael says, oh, Adrian. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm projecting his tone there. The withering. Sound he also voice. follows up a little bit later on with, "Go on, Shane. A bit of balance here is good." <laughs> um, I presume that was in relation to your Arbor Hill. But I'm surprised. I'm surprised, Adrian. Like you, you will I, I used to be. I used to be when I was younger. I was extremely nationalistic and mm. patriotic, and I just gave it up. But nationalism is different. I, I wouldn't be too nationalistic, but I'd be patriotic and uh, yeah, republican. It's, it's whatever it means to you. Like in a weird way, nationalism is totally subjective and personal, mm. and um, and your pride and the sense of where you come from. Like I would sing around Devine with the same gusto I'd sing the Green and Red Mayo. Or well, N- that's all other. N- <laughs> N- seventeen in that, um, that that's it's the same. It's going to kill us if we keep talking. But I'll just read some of these uh, comments. Um, uh, <laughs> Aaron Ver, Aaron Ver, which I presume is uh, Green Irish. He's a patronising muppet, clearly of planter stock, which is possibly the greatest thing that's ever been said. Which I Definitely talking about Shane there. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Cal says patriotism, patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. Uh, singing our own Levine in Fitzgerald Stadium, Croke Park, then belting out. 
uh, Command the Kingdom is always the highlight of my year, says David Lucy. Good morning <laughs> to you, David. Adrian wants a national anthem about flowers and bees and sunny days in Wicklow, says P. Well. Oh, that sounds absolutely ideal. Guys, I feel like we have our next limerick right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, superstition for me to always sing around a vein right at the end at all GA games, says yep. Andrew Moynihan. Same. Uh, how do you expect Irish kids to know our anthem when we only play that abomination of Ireland's call? Also, for the record, most Irish people would That's rather listen to God Save the Queen than Ireland's call, says Brown O'Brien. This is actually a very good point that John Collins has brought up in the comments, and now I'm just doing what I told you guys not to do. But uh, <laughs> how do you feel about the anthem at an international versus a GA match where the crowd sends a message to the opposition or where everyone sings it together? Both. I'd, nearly be, both. I'd, nearly be, I'd nearly be more into the everybody singing it together bit. Mm. If I've never really considered that before, but now that it's been asked. That's a good point, actually, yeah. I love both. Yeah. Just, I think it's a, it's a, it's an anthem. I'd be up for both as well, but like I, I do think like that's probably a much more nuanced point than anything we would have brought to the table on this topic. It's also oh, the Irish yeah. language. We, we all, none of us talk like I, I still have a cupola fuckle and that's it from from school. But it, it's, it gives us an opportunity once a week at a match to to sing a bit of Irish. I've started following this guy who's living on Inish, Inish, Inish man as it's called, and he's um, um, does everything through Irish on TikTok. And Is it's he a cripple? Brilliant. Class. He's not. Oh. He's um, he's just a young fella who's got an unbelievable um, turn of phrase and okay. accent. Anyway, uh, quickly, up referees. Should they be mic'd or not? Yes or no? Round the room. Yes. In all sorts. Uh, well, GA, I suppose, specifically, because they don't seem to be for the idea, which is a bit baffling to me. Yeah, definitely. 100%. I'd love to know what they're saying when they smile as they give someone a yellow. I have to give you this. <laughs> <laughs> like there's always like ah look I'm sorry you can't get away with that well like Shane you were saying that like the reasoning behind it is that the GA want to protect the privacy of the rest 100% and, yeah, I'm just like what are they saying that needs to be kept private you know it's it's on the pitch there could be 80,000 people watching you or 20,000 however many it is what goes on between you and the players shouldn't necessarily be a secret Especially if you're officiating, like yeah, I was taken off. Like I asked Tom Ryan, the GA director general, this yesterday because he was talking in his report yesterday about calling out unwanted behaviour of officials because it's been a, a theme throughout the last twelve months in Gaelic games. There's been too many incidents of abuse verbally and physically towards referees and officials. But I, I asked him the question, you know, thinking he was going to say, "Oh, geez, that's yeah, it could be could be something we could look at." But he was so vehemently against it. He was like, "No, no, definitely not something we're considering. It won't be in the near future either." Just a flat no. Privacy go, of the officials was, I'd yeah. go one step further and introduce um, NFL-style referee mics so that everybody... Explain the decisions. ...who's in the, in, the, in the crowd. Now, like, look, at it doesn't, in the parlance of the week, doesn't need to apply to a junior F game in West Kerry. Exactly. But you yeah. could do it at Crow Park, you could do it at all the county grounds, but just so that, everybody knows yeah. exactly... There was a soccer game in Italy or something recently where they, like, trialled it, where the ref, like, explained the decision to the crowd. It was kind of almost like a TMO... Like situation, except with VAR mm. and something like that. I, thought I think that's powerful. Like, how can more communication be a bad thing? I know. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I phrased the question. I said, obviously, this will be tough to implement at club level, but at inter county level, it could be like, like at club level, it would be gas to listen to the lads chatting. Well, Pat, how are you getting on? Points this weekend, is it? Yeah. Just, like, you'd, you'd pick up some conversations. At yeah, club but, level, you'd, but you'd only be miking the ref. You wouldn't, the umpires, yeah. lines, people, etc. But you'd pick up the players like in rugby, you'd probably hear the... You would, yeah. yeah, yeah. Remnants of that, that, that'd be the biggest issue that I would see, so much, not so much the referee, protecting the referee, but maybe protecting the players to a degree because they do... I do accept some of the argument that... But maybe um, that might start like 
or stop some do, of the yeah. sledging yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that's the true. horrendous that's things that we, culture, yeah. yeah, the horrendous stuff that we always yeah. hear gets said on a pitch, and we hear about it after the fact, but we've absolutely no proof that it happens. Doesn't go in the referee's report most of the time. Don't even know if the referee notices it. Like all that stuff might be picked up, and I know people go on about rugby being. I'm going to say a gentle person's game since mm. both genders play it. But, uh, you know, they talk about that, and I don't think that's necessarily true, but there is definitely an element that comes into it because they know that they could be picked up. And, like, sometimes yeah. your frustrations flare and someone curses or whatever. It's not the end of the world. I've heard, I've heard the argument made that oh, it shouldn't be players shouldn't be mic- or officials shouldn't be mic'd up in Gaelic games because you know these players are amateur and they have jobs and you know they could say something in the heat of the moment really offensive or sledging and and that should that shouldn't be held against them but completely should yeah if you're that type of person out. to yeah. say that in a match mm. you should stand by it when you're sober and. Uh, well, obviously, you're sober playing a match, but I mean, in the, co- <laughs> in, the co- in the cold light of day, obviously, Shane, not always obviously. <laughs> Off the pitch, you know, if if you say something on the pitch, you should stand by it. 100. You know, I'm sorry, CCCC. <laughs> <laughs> I know the game was 20 minutes old, but I was locked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like if you say something during a match, you should uh, you shouldn't say it in the journal match that you, that you wouldn't be quite content for people to hear on the street. I know, yeah. yeah. I know things are. Said and I know exactly. Well, that's the difficulty, and I know that what I'm saying is wrong-headed, and that what. Kathleen's point about changing things culturally is absolutely mm. salient. Um, but. There's always a but, yeah. Um, are we moving on? Uh, I think we're kind of out of time. Are sadly. we done? We don't yeah. even get a chance to talk about Kelly Taylor. Well, I think we kind of know where we all stand yeah, yeah. after the last week. I think I think Adrian should sing us out with the, with Iron Levy and a few chords of Iron Levy. Yeah, yeah so. sure. Would everyone be up for that? Yeah, roll the uh, roll it in there. Um, <laughs> the music, right? Uh, like a nightclub. Yeah. Um, that was the first proper Friday fireside. Fire, 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 fire yeah, it's burning bright over there. I can see it. Yeah. Um, I think that hot was takes yeah. for the fire. We'll be back again next week. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. And send in your Six Nations cliches. I want to know what everyone else. A week takes a week off, and suddenly, like the show is cooking along. We've you know, <laughs> great fire, guests. Fire food. I'm clipping that and just sending it to him. <laughs> oh, he'll be watching. I mean, he's you know you know yourself. Zest. Uh, okay, OTBM brought to you uh, live every morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. That is it from us for the minute here at OTBM. We're going to be back on Tuesday with our performance rankings. Alan Quinlan will review the weekend's rugby as well. We're going to be joined by Sarah Donovan and Anthony Moyles as well to look back at the weekend's GEA. You can tune in to Off the Ball over the weekend. You'll hear live commentary of Tottenham City and Forest Leeds as well. Have a brilliant bank holiday weekend. See you next week. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.